0: shortage. Toilet paper shortage. It's crazy. If you're worried about the future, I really don't blame you. Millions of Americans are wondering what to do. How do you hedge your bed? How do you protect yourself and your family? Well, Americans are quietly stocking up on emergency food. Shouldn't you? So ask yourself, Currently, have enough food on hand to get you through the next month? If not, you should strongly consider getting a four-week emergency food kit from my Patriot Supply. They're the nation's number one preparedness company, and their mission is your survival. They've served millions of American families, and they will be honored to serve you too. So, right now, you can save $50 off their four-week emergency food kit, which comes with breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, and even snacks. This food gives you a minimum requirement of 2,000 calories per day, and the special packaging keeps it fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. You can't go wrong. So head on over to prepare with SouthernSense.com and claim your four-week emergency food kit at this special price. You'll save $50 per kit if you act now. So, if you're on my website, listening to this show, go up to the top corner and you'll see my smiley face on the left-hand side where it says prepare. Click on that link to My Patriot Food. Or, you can go to Prepare with com. Be prepared. All right, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense, live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, and half a dozen other places you'll find us. Just go to the name of the show, put it dash in the middle, southern com. I'm your hostess with the least mostest, the Radio Chickadee, Annie, <laughs> along with my courageous and also handsome co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. How are you doing?
4: I am staying warm. I hear a lot about North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia, and I'm glad I'm in Florida, even though tonight we're supposed to get down in the the 20s. Can you believe that? North Florida, that is. Oh,
0: jeez. Do you have snow up there? Nope. Thankfully, nope. Nope. It's overcast. It's nasty. It's blah. But no, no, no. Thankfully, no snow. Thankfully, no (laughs) snow. And it looks like we're having problems with our video once again it's coming in and out kind of sketchy over up on facebook ah oh, jeez is there ever going to be a day when we can broadcast without something going wrong but it is I'm up, sure. uh, working 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 perf- perfectly fine it looks like well no not exactly i just opened my mouth too soon even facebook is having some issues on it i oh, just One day. I would like to broadcast one day without having all these technical (laughs) difficulties. But we got ourselves a jam-up show today. Uh, Who's joining us back again is uh, Andy Berger. She's the founder of Beulah's Place, a place where they take uh, victims of human trafficking and help them heal and get back on their feet. She's also written a new book that is really riveting. And I didn't realize that a friend of mine... A fellow blog talk uh, radio host Ken McClinton um, he uh, wrote a chapter in the book and the name of the book is voices against trafficking now uh, it was about six going on seven years ago I think it was close to seven years ago um, his daughter was uh, on her way home she was a reporter and she was getting staying at the bus stop she was waiting to get onto the bus and uh, she was grabbed and held as a hostage uh, and eventually she was killed, unfortunately. He wrote a very, very riveting chapter in the book. I didn't realize it until I got towards the end of the book. Uh, also, we haven't had this person back on in quite a long time, Jeff cruer He also has a radio show, actually television and radio, called Ringside Politics, uh, which airs on TV. So we haven't had him on for a couple of years, and I reached out to him, and he said, oh, happy to. He's always fun to talk to. And we have Teddy Daniels running for lieutenant governor out of Pennsylvania. They're trying to make Pennsylvania red again. I wish him a lot of luck. Now, Mark Tapscott is not going to be with us, but instead, Matthew Vadum of the Epic Times will join us. And then we close out with a traditional guest from the Heritage Foundation, Dr. Jay Green. So we got ourselves a really busy, busy show. Yeah.
4: Sound like an eighteen here.
0: Hmm. I hope so. I hope so. Wanna well, welcome everyone that's here, uh, in our chat room here on Blog Talk Radio, as well as those that are trying to watch over on YouTube and Facebook. Uh hopefully we'll get the technical issues settled. But I thought I had it done. Everything was going fine. And all of a sudden I start getting these error messages. Just one show without a problem would really really love that. Ah. Well, there's so much. yeah there's so much to talk about so much is going on and today is the 49th anniversary and March on DC for the right to life the pro-life movement is right now in Washington DC uh, going to uh, the Supreme Court where they'll be petitioning or pr- protesting uh, and hopefully one day get overturned, Roe v. Wade, and send that back down to the states. Should never have been a Supreme Court issue. It is a state's issue. It's a state's right issue. And I think we may have a Supreme Court that is willing to do that. So we'll see what happens. We'll be following it as we do our broadcast. But um, yeah, It
4: will be interesting to see how they, um, you know, determine the outcome of this case in the, the near future they've done you know pretty good job last week on some of the things that they um presided over i didn't like the fact that they still want to you know make hospital workers um where the mass and get the the back well the mass I got no problem with but to make them get the uh, vaccine and i'm still a little um, dubious about that but at least for the private sector. The Supreme Court rules, you know, favorably for private workers.
0: Right, right. I see. I, we'll, we'll probably talk to Dr. Jay Green about that uh, ruling also. It's a, on a list of things I have to speak to him about. That said, uh, those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And at one point, we had some Tuskegee Airmen on. And this is just this past week. uh, One of them, a Brigadier General, uh, Charles McGee, passed away. He was 102. So normally we do it to a fallen hero that's fallen in the line of duty. But every now and then, we come across someone that's extraordinary, and they deserve our recognition, too. And this is from Associated Press Written by Douglas K. Daniel And it reads Charles McGee, a Tuskegee airman Who flew 409 fighter combat missions over three years And later helped to bring attention to black pilots Who had battled racism at home to fight for freedom abroad Died on Sunday He was 102 McGee died in sleep at his home in Bethanasia, Maryland, said his son Ron McGee. After the U.S. entry into World War II, McGee left the University of Illinois to join an experimental program for black soldiers seeking to train as pilots after the Army Air Corps was forced to admit African Americans. In October 1942, He was sent to the Tuskegee Army Airfield in Alabama for flight training, according to his biography on the website of the National Aviation Hall of Fame. You could say that one of the things we were fighting for was equality, he told the Associated Press in a 1995 interview, equality of opportunity. We knew we had the same skills Or better, McGee graduated from flight school in June 1943 and in early 1944 joined the all-black 332 fighter group known as the Red Tails. He flew 136 missions as the group accompanied farmers over Europe. More than 900 men trained at Tuskegee from 1940 to 1946. About 450 deployed overseas, and 150 lost their lives in training or combat. In recent years, the Tuskegee Airmen have been the subject of books, movies, and documentaries highlighting their courage in the air and the doubts they faced on the ground because of their race. In 2007, a Congressional Gold Medal, the highest civilian award from Congress, was issued to recognize the unique military record that inspired revolutionary reform in the armed forces. McGee remained in the Army Air Corps, later the U.S. Air Force, and served for 30 years. He flew low-level bombing and strafing missions during the Korean War and returned to combat again during the Vietnam War. The National Aviation Hall of Fame says his 409 aerial fighter combat missions in three wars remains a record. He retired as a colonel in the Air Force in 1973, then earned a college degree in business administration and worked as a business executive. He was accorded an honorary commission promoting him to the one-star rank of brigadier general as he turned 100. Another event marked his centennial year. He flew a private jet between Frederick, Maryland, and Dover Air Force Base in Delaware. In 2020, McGee drew a standing ovation from members of Congress when introduced by President Donald Trump during his State of the Union address. Charles Edward McGee, was born December 7, 1919, in Cleveland, the son of a minister who also worked as a teacher and social worker and was a military chaplain. He graduated from high school in Chicago in 1938. Survivors include daughters Charlene McGee-Smith and Yvonne McGee, 10 grandchildren, 14 great-grandchildren, and a great great grandchild. His wife of more than 50 years, Frances, died in 1994. A family statement described McGee as a living legend known for his kind-hearted and humble nature who saw the positivity at every turn. In tweets Sunday honoring McGee, both Vice President Kamala Harris and Defense Secretary Lloyd J. Austin III called him an American hero. While I am saddened by his loss, I am also incredibly grateful for his sacrifice, his legacy, and his character. Rest in peace, General, Austin wrote. In his Smithsonian essay, McGee wrote that he was often asked why Tuskegee Airmen were so successful in combat. Quote, I would say... It was because of our courage and perseverance, unquote, he wrote. He wrote, we dreamed of being pilots as boys, but were told it was not possible. Through faith and determination, we overcame enormous obstacles. This is a lesson that all people need to hear. He added, I am most proud of my work as a Tuskegee Airman that helps bring down racial barriers and defeat the Nazis. Today's show is dedicated to Brigadier General Charles McGee, Tuskegee Airman, and Red Tail Combat Fighter. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve in our armed forces from the birth of this nation through today and into our future. We also dedicate it to all the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We can never say thank you enough. May God bless each and every one. We give this song by Todd Allen Harrington to this dedication. On Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News, iTunes, Stitcher Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook. Oh, just the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. com. right, we got our, our our video program messing up again already, Curtis. Holy cow. Oh, man. <laughs> what is it? I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to have to call my... Uh, Repair companies, see if they can poke around the inside of this mess and see what the heck is going on. I, I don't Anyone know anything about computers? Because I thought I did, and everything was running fine. And ever since this one program that I'm using to stream live was updated, it, it, they just messed it up. They just completely, completely messed up. It's taking yeah, up a you lot never of never
4: know about those updates. You just don't. I get it, a lot of updates from uh, Microsoft. And I have no clue what they're downloading and and updating on my computer
0: and it's 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 and I just you can't get anything to work properly. It keeps on telling me it's got high c p u usage
2: mm-hmm.
0: but i I'm gonna have to contact the uh, the repair company I use. I've got a really good one that's nearby and uh see if they can just look around and see what is chewing up the memory. Oh man! Either that, or find a different program to use to stream. This is this is crazy. It's just just too crazy. Anyway, um, here's a couple of interesting things that no one no one is really talking about, and I think that's important because we've got Russia rattling the chains at the Ukraine right now, but no one has mentioned anything um, about them pairing up with China and China testing out this new hypersonic weaponry um, that could possibly very easily reach any part of the United States. And uh, and our intelligence agencies right now have completely dropped the ball on this one. They're they're completely caught unaware that not only is China developing this, Russia's experimenting with it, North Korea's experimenting with it, You know, we could very easily end up with a nuclear war on our hands, and we're not prepared. We are not prepared. This is some very scary stuff going on out there.
4: Yeah, I mean, China has um, put into place what they call the 100-year plan to become the dominant world power, And, and they're working on it, you know, I mean, at breakneck speed. I mean, they try to gain influence um, in parts of Africa and um, other places. Um, they would love you, to you suppl- assess the world superpower.
0: I don't think you can actually name a country where China doesn't have some influence in their bridge and roads projects, the Belt Across, the Beltway project. So they're in all over Europe. They're all over Africa and uh, South America. Central America, the Caribbean, and Canada, United States—they're everywhere. They're worse than you know, New York City cockroaches. <laughs> Honestly, ed- yeah. anywhere you go, you're going to you're going to be finding their influence, whether it's in business or education. Um, look at the are universities,
4: colleges, yeah. and universities still in our
0: technology. I mean, the I Confucius programs, the Confucius programs they put in our elementary schools, uh, the the influence there, um, Hollywood, other media that they're influencing. Um, we're finding, oh, Amazon, they have an arm in Amazon to help promote their propaganda, to give out that pro-communist message that our youth are falling for, like bumbling fools. And China's influence, when you when you get down to it, is just about every single thing. And now here, Congress goes and buys all those wonderful KN95 masks. Guess where they're made? In China. Wow! Anyone surprised there? And guess what? They don't work. They're forgeries. They're fakes. They don't work. So, you know, Nancy Pelosi is very happy touting these KN95 masks that Congress is willing to give to every single American. Well, you wonder why China made masks that don't work to help spread the virus that they created. So you, you think about it. They're yeah. in our medicines. They make a, a large majority of the medicines we take daily to keep us alive are being manufactured and brought over here from China. You wonder why you can't find anything on the grocery shelf, the grocery shelf, because it's all being made in China today, guys. You know, they're buying farmland.
4: I see a lot of Chinese products um, in the stores wherever I go. And it um, kind of reminds me um, way back in the day when everything was Japan.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> and then it was um, Korea, and now it's China. China? We are beholden to the country.
0: Vietnam, uh, India, Mexico. Where, 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 what happened to Made in America? Oh, wait a minute. Someone does get it. Intel said that they are opening a factory, I believe it's in Ohio, to start manufacturing the chips we need for all of our electronics. Right now, all the chips that we're getting for cars, smartphones, computers, your your Alexi or whatever else you've got that's a smart device, these chips are coming out of China. And at this point, um, Intel said, well, we can't have that. We're going to have to start making it made in America once again. So by 2023, they will have a chip factory here in the United States, and we can start seeing Made in America once again. But I do see that we do have our first guest in on the line. Let me just uh, bring her in if my equipment will cooperate. And want to welcome back to the show the founder of Bueller's Place and the author of uh, Voices Against Trafficking. I want to welcome back Andy Berger. Good afternoon, Andy. How are you today?
5: I'm doing just great. Thanks so much for having me back on, Annie.
0: Oh, it's, it's always, a pleasure. always our pleasure. Our pleasure. You know, I was reviewing the book again last night, going over my notes, and I must have skipped a chapter, and I had to stop and go back and go, you blooming idiot. Because As I was reading the story in this one chapter, I said, I know this person. I, I, I know who they're talking about. And sure enough, I skipped around to the end and saw it was written by my friend, Ken McClinton, uh, when he lost his daughter, yeah. now going on almost seven years ago. I can't believe time has flown that fast. Um, Ken has also you know done a couple of broadcasts with me, especially when we were doing the um, broadcast out of the South Carolina Tea Party Coalition Convention in Myrtle Beach years ago. So yeah, I know Ken very, very well. A very lovely man. He's and a great I was, I was,
5: guy. One, Yes. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say he's a great guy and a wonderful supporter of Voices Against Trafficking. So we were honored to have him as part of the book. And what a great chapter he wrote, as painful as it was.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I remember that time very, very well and talking to him and how, how completely broke up he was. How angry that the person that murdered her has never been caught. I mean, we can identify everyone that was in D.C. on January 6, 2020, but we can't identify the person that so brutally took his daughter's life.
5: It is unfortunate because you know that's that's the case with all predators it seems these days especially not just in the trafficking but in child abuse in violent crimes like his daughter experienced all of that and we really need to do a better job of enforcing the laws we have and getting that uh, handled because as long as the predators have free reign everyone is a potential big
0: absolutely now this is a wonderful book and uh I'm sorry I messed up scheduling you last week, but I'm glad I have you here today. Oh, no worries. Uh, I'm
5: happy to be here.
0: (laughs) But it was an interesting way in which you put this together. You had other people write chapters, and then you just melded it all together to make a flowing story explaining exactly what the issue is with human trafficking. And the mainstream media is not talking about this. I mean, we've got a porous open southern border and that you've got human trafficking nonstop. I mean, how, we don't even know how many millions of people have come across that, that have been trafficked, or the conditions that they're in. But these
5: are things you address. Absolutely. In the book. Yes. What we tried to do in the book is create almost a handbook of sorts—not a guide, not a statistical, you know, document—but basically uh, bringing perspectives from all parts of the human trafficking crisis because that's really what it is. It was the first pandemic because it's been around uh, way before America was even born, as, as you probably read in the chapter on the evolution of slavery, uh, because it, it's from the Greco-Roman era and, and forward. But but to your point about the book, uh, there's information here for the average person who has no clue what human trafficking is and also for the person that may be on the front lines. And our goal was to take perspectives from the media, Media. You know, why isn't it in the media? Why isn't there more uh, public awareness of this? And then also prevention, how to keep your kids safe. We have tips in there, how to prevent child abuse, things like that. And then we also have if you're traveling or uh, what the front lines of Mexico is really going through right now from our counterparts out there. And, of course, you know, uh, the headlines about social media. So we have chapters in there on how to really help your kids be safe on social media, what happens if, if they're not being uh, watched or, or they're not having their information thoroughly vetted out by a parent or guardian and just so much more. And you know the other part too that we wanted to have was the trauma and what it causes in a victim of human trafficking if they survive. And only one out of 100 usually escape. So that's a very small number. but. I know, being a victim myself, that a lot of my health issues and and broken pieces in my body, you know, were from all the abuse and stuff. So we wanted to make sure that every home library, every uh, legislator's library has an opportunity to learn from our books, and we hope to bring them out every year with new voices. So there you are. You're on the front end of that tip.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the statistics that you, you talk about in the book and the things that you highlight I find this really fascinating that every 40 seconds a child is abducted in the United States every 40 seconds
5: Yes, that is uh, from Donald W. Washington, director of the U.S. Marshals, and they just really kick butt when it comes to finding missing kids and and breaking up rings, but they never get the the kudos or the credit for what they've been doing. A, a, A few years ago, they got a lot of credit. They were always in the news. But, you know, I think society is either desensitized or they think, oh, it doesn't happen here, or it's only for runaways who are rebellious, which is not true because uh, my husband and I have assisted 300 kids over the last 13 years and housed 50 of them uh, to help them get reintegrated into, into communities. And it's not true. They ran from things that were worse than they felt they, could, they would deal with on the street. And we, and we all know as adults that the streets are harsh and they're, they're just as bad. But in the moment, these kids run because of whatever is happening in the home or where they're housed.
0: And, you know, the book just, just is, it, it's, I'm trying to think of the correct word, but it is eye-opening on uh, the, the things that people will do to each other. And you think that at this day and age, we would know more with the advent of the ease of 24-hour news, of the easy access to information, that more of Americans would be educated to the fact that we do have still human slavery here in the United States. And it's a major multi-billion dollar business
5: yes and it's worse than it was in the beginning or what people consider the beginning because you know with all of the lockdowns and the the school closures you know on and off all of the chaos around our children right now and we're talking 18 and under actually i believe it should be 21 and under because how many 20 year olds do you know have it all together and are completely aware of everything going on it, it just really should be i believe it should be extended but that's andy's personal opinion but but for for this case Um, one of the things we're trying to do with the book so we can help uh, hopefully head off some of this trend to just consider children product or consider innocent lives uh, worthless is to get this book in the hands of every member of Congress, every attorney general, and every governor every single year. Because this way, you know, they can't say, hey, we didn't know, we weren't aware and all of that. So Since we're a nonprofit, we are raising money now to make sure we can get those 737 copies and get it to the right people of influence and then also continue the grassroots human rights movement that we started a couple years ago by getting folks to add their voice to our roster. We're trying to get a million names by the end of summer 2023 that say, look, I may not have money or time, but I do want to put my name on this roster as someone being against using human beings as a profit center.
0: Man, I, I I saw that, and I made sure that I wanted you to talk about that, and I'm glad you did. You know, a lot of these chapters here um, would actually leave you you know, crying because you think about what these people have gone through. And, you know, one of the things that uh, you talk about is PTSD. Now, you know, yes. here you are. You were able to escape uh You're abusers, but you can't escape your history, and it, it is part of your psyche now.
5: Yes, that's correct, and a lot of people don't realize that PTSD is not curable. You can't undo the trauma, and it can be something other than sexual trauma, just to be clear for your listeners. I mean, you could watch a horror movie or you could be in a terrible accident. You could go through a divorce or the death of someone. All of that trauma it depends on, uh, you know, how it affects you, but in this particular case, children of abuse, physical, mental, sexual, uh, all of that, children uh, that have been trafficked, Any anybody who been sexually assaulted even as a young adult or or later in life that creates uh, a trauma that can never be erased for example in my case you know my immediate family and extended family members before there was a term trafficked me in the 60s and early 70s and so from six months to 17 years old i was trapped as a minor familial predators and so familial trafficking means that the the predators in the family have the bloodline to cover their despicable, depraved actions. And it's harder not only for a child to report, but to escape or to have those perpetrators brought to justice. So yes, uh, PTSD is very real. And I just began talking about it six decades into life. I managed it really well. I coped really well. But I have triggers and I have things that come up. And thankfully, you know, my husband's aware, I have a good support system, and sometimes you just have to have someone who's there to listen and not try to solve the problem because the only way to solve it is for that trauma to never have happened, and that's impossible.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, Now, one of the people that wrote one of the chapters, I'm probably going to pronounce her name incorrectly, Blanquita Cullum? Yes. Tell us about That's her correct. and, and how, how she's working with you now.
5: She is an amazing, uh, not only human being, a great friend, but a brilliant uh, strategist that she's been in the broadcasting industry, uh, got women into the broadcasting industry many, many, many years ago, lots of years, too many she doesn't want me to mention. So. <laughs> but <laughs> she has come alongside and really helped voices against trafficking, and even our shelter, Beulah's Place, uh, gain greater ground. And what an amazing human being she is to have dedicated her heart and soul to this because um, we need people in the media. She knows how to speak to media. She knows how to help navigate through all of that. But her show, The Hard Question, she brings all kinds of speakers on to speak truth to really talk about these hard questions, like you 're doing right now why isn 't there more media coverage why isn 't there why aren 't there more prosecutions and so uh, you know her chapter on uh, the cry of slavery, but the truth is we have more slavery now is absolutely spot on because we can 't even report we can 't get reporting, we can 't get the statistics on how many kids are locked up or where they 're being held or how they 're being treated, and with a huge uh, hundreds of thousands of influx of people coming across the border. There really isn't any system to vet out. Not even if they're healthy, but whether they're being sold or trafficked. We do know uh, last year the average price for a child that was brought over the border was about. You could buy a kid and do whatever you wanted with them. The cartels have the upper hand right now. So. That's what she wanted to bring out was that we have more slavery now. Why aren't we more upset about that?
0: You know, I, 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 I hear black lives matter, but it shouldn't be all lives matter. Each life is a precious gift from God. And he, he willed us with free will. But when someone else takes that free will away and forces you into a situation that would not be normal or natural, why don't we recognize that? We fought the war, the Civil War to end slavery, and yet now we have more than prior to the Civil War. There's
5: no excuse Absolutely. for that. Absolutely, no. You're right. No. There is no excuse for that. And kudos for you for bringing that up because not a lot of media will say that.
0: Well, you know, there's also other people like Alma Tucker that opened the eyes of law enforcement, and it dealt around a story that she told about this girl Maria, and she had other stories too in her chapter. Uh but when you you think the the barbarity of what these, these young children are going through and even adults being being locked into uh slavery. And there's no no other way to explain it. It's no you can't just say human trafficking, you have to say slavery. Whether it's twenty yes, first century or, slavery. Or labor. You know, it we have to use the right term and open everyone's eyes by using a term that you can understand that will hit them right in the face brutally. But she she talked about how no one was able to communicate with this child, but she had been so badly traumatized. And she in her journey about helping this child, she opened up a lot of other eyes, especially in law enforcement. So you have to go after the person that's trafficking the individual and not the person that is being arrested for, you know, prostitution because they're forced into trafficking
5: right right and prostitution is a way that traffickers use to cover some of their their depraved behavior but uh well here's a perfect example just in my area about two three weeks ago uh the police managed to catch the perpetrator only because the woman that he had abducted young woman abducted her took her to a local motel hotel in our area, put the do not disturb sign on the door for two weeks. Nobody checked on that room. Okay. To see if anything was going on. And that's where he, he kept her imprisoned uh, sexually and physically hurt her, all of that kind of stuff. Somehow she managed to escape and was running out and uh, he ran after her. And anyway, that's how the whole thing came to light. And so, I would think that any establishment we have to look at the hotels motels all the industries you know where people can be held but again it's the everyday person that can make a difference in my opinion. If we see something or suspect something, we need to say something. And one of the things, uh, just like Alma, if she hadn't brought that to light, she's an amazing woman, very bright, uh, very passionate. If she had not interceded on that child's behalf, a lot of law enforcement wouldn't really even know, you know, what what was going on or what was happening or how to help someone. Because helping a victim requires a lot of specialized resources that most Uh, Communities won't provide or don't provide for whatever reason they're not allocated for psychosexual uh, therapy or help or or for uh, mental resources when these uh, folks that have been victimized have mental issues as a result because they can't function I was blessed God interceded in my life early enough where you know I knew I had a purpose and a hope if I could survive but not everyone has that has that opportunity. So, yes, her chapter was incredible. It's hard for me to even read it, (laughs) to be honest, because it breaks my heart every time. Uh, But this is partly what we want to do. We want to bring the fact that we're not talking statistics only. We're talking human beings. And if this makes it more humanized to someone reading this saying, I had no idea or, oh, my gosh, at the very least, let me support someone who's doing the frontline work, that's what we're trying to do, awareness and action.
0: Well, what one of the beautiful things about the book is after each chapter you have the contact information, uh, email addresses, websites, phone numbers for individuals to reach out to these authors and say, Hey, listen, well, Alma's group is the found- she's the founder of the International Network of Hearts. So if you found that she- what she wrote was riveting and you wanna help, you can reach out and give them a hand. And you absolutely do this with each- each person that you can reach out to the authors and say, hey, listen, I I loved what you wrote, and I feel that I can help you make a difference, and this is what I offer.
5: Absolutely. And that's such a great point. One of the things in my heart, because this definitely was a God-inspired work, uh, last year, March, you know, just felt the nudge that we needed more voices, which is why I wrote that introduction. And, you know, by September, we had a book together with, you know, 20 authors. And so by compiling this book, I wanted to make sure that each of these folks, whether they were media or they had a nonprofit or they were a consultant, had the opportunity to have people reach out to them directly. It wasn't about, Andy it was about the whole collective effort to help turn the tide against predators and people that protect the predators and getting the real truth out about the situation and so together we're stronger and we can make a bigger impact so yes we wanted to make sure that our readers could find any of these folks that wrote a chapter and communicate with them well you know the human
0: trafficking is not just coming over the southern border or it's not grabbing someone off the street, but but it also involves the travel industry. You mentioned hotels, motels, but the airline industry. Now, I used to own a travel agency, and I I would never have even thought, because you have to go through customs and everything else, but these people are really slick, and some of these airline uh, stewardesses uh, were savvy enough that they were able to recognize the problems.
5: Absolutely. And that's because uh, Nancy Rivard, Deborah Sigmund, a lot of people, uh, they got involved with airline ambassadors. Well, they started airline ambassadors. And Nancy and her group have trained I don't even know how many thousands of, of airline employees and has been involved in rescues in different countries. And when we say airline, they are not they're not provided for by any one airline. They they service all airline personnel. But again, then the airlines have to back that up by continuing training for their team. Perfect example, last weekend. Just a week ago, I uh, got a call from one of our charter members for Voices Against Trafficking, one of the authors in the book, Lisa Babbage. Uh, as she was traveling, noticed something suspicious about a gentleman holding a newborn newborn or very young baby, probably not even a month old, and was covered up uh, with some kind of uh, blanket or something. And so she thought it was a little strange. The baby's crying. He doesn't seem to know what to do. Anyway, it just felt wrong to her. And she was literally boarding her flight, but she managed to tell a flight attendant who reached out for help when Elisa landed. Um- they were able to talk to TSA, and through our connections and two other connections with Nancy of Airline Ambassadors and Deborah Sigman from Innocence at Risk, we were able to get a report. Lisa was able to report directly to DHS, Homeland Security, and at least, and she had photos. So they have photos of the man and what they could see of the baby. So this is happening right now, everyone. This is not something that Kind of sort of happens in other countries. It happens in your airport. It happens in your neighborhood. If a child is going missing every forty seconds, chances are your neighborhood has already experienced it, whether you realize it or not.
0: wow that that is mind boggling because you know we live here in suburbia, and you think you're nice and safe and comfortable. Um, but crime happens everywhere, everywhere. so okay. even though you're sitting in your nice, comfortable, warm house behind a locked door there's someone else being victimized. And you may not, yeah, it, it is very, very, very fascinating, fascinating book because, um, matter of fact, I think Nancy, uh, because of her observation, was able to help break up a uh, trafficking ring that resulted, I believe, in 86 people being freed.
5: Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, she certainly did. And those women, let me tell you, what a life-changing experience. And uh, another thing that I learned, not, uh, not in conjunction with her effort, but after some time, is that the first thing in some of these other countries, whether it's Africa or wherever, that they do with victims is they give them a bicycle. And I never thought about it until I heard this, but that's the first level of empowerment these women have. And in, in, and in the case I'm talking about, it was all females that were rescued. The men, or rather boys, are just as uh, susceptible, but you really, the majority is still on the female side. But, um, and I thought, well, how perfect is that? Because they can ride a bicycle anywhere they want to go. It's their first chance to feel empowered, that they can leave, that they can, they can be free. And something so simple that we take for granted every day, most, most people do. And so one of the other things we're trying to do is give people tips for safety, for protection. But, yes, uh, that was a huge rescue effort, and we are so proud of her and all of the folks that were involved in that.
0: You know, uh, (laughs) excuse me, sorry about that. Um, There's so many different things to talk about here. Uh, There was a, in your chapter, Frontlines of Mexico, this is me. Uh, I'm going to pronounce the name wrong. I never learned Spanish. Uh, Rosie Orozco. Orozco, oh, uh, very good. <laughs> she helped break up a thing called the carousel and ended up, it was a meat market, no other way to describe it, where they would take these young girls and women and parade them up and down the plaza for the men to choose who they could abuse that day. And there's no other way exactly. to explain it. But it was a actual, a pure sex slave trade.
5: Yes, it was, and and people think it happens in the movies, but where do you, where do you think movies get their stories from? It's reality. This is truth. It's not just a family that's so poor they'll sell one of their children to feed the others. That's not it. You know, this is literally, like you said, the meat market process. And because there is no intercession other than someone like Rosie, who's been very brave and very courageous because uh, it's a vicious, vicious uh, how do I want to say community of predators if they find somebody tampering or trying to expose their depravity? But basically, they're allowed to do this. I mean, nobody's going to step in and stop it because of the money. Uh, trafficking is usually fueled by two things: greed or perversion. We only hear about greed usually, like in the Epstein Maxwell cases, you know the money, the parties, all that stuff. but but again, if there is no demand, There would be no supply. And if there's no supply, there would be no profit in this whole mess. But there will always be depraved behavior. We know that good and evil, as you said, God gave every human free will, and we can do good, we can do evil, or we can do nothing. Doing nothing, in my opinion, is as uh, complicit as doing the evil yourself, because people, someone always knows when a child's being abused, when those girls are being sold on the street, when... Uh, a uh, a teenager has been taken you know from either a street corner or a mall or they've been lured into a situation that seems safe like teenagers that answer ads for work during the summer right most kids you know want to earn some money and do things and traffic crews predators know that so they are very Andy. good very crafty with their ads Andy. This yes
4: is, uh, co-host cs I used to work in child protective services, and I've been out of that um, field for quite a few years now. But when I <laughs> I talked to some of the young women, and they were teenagers then um, when they were under my auspices. They tell me a lot about um, what's going on as far as the, the sex, you know, slave, child sex slave trade. And how they are often abused by people within the system, like foster care. Yes. You know, you have a lot of foster care parents who have dubious um, backgrounds, even though they may not show criminal record. It doesn't show any of their proclivities. You know, so absolutely. have you heard you much are about so that? Right. Have you heard well, much about any of that in the foster care um, field?
5: Yes, absolutely. And and okay. I just want listeners to know there are always good people in industries, but right now we're going to talk about the people, like you just said, that misuse it for their own good. Uh, just like there are predators who are teachers and health care workers and college professors, and they find a, a way to look good on the outside. But uh, definitely what you just said, it, it's a – how do you want to – I would like to say that it, it's definitely – a scam, and it's it's definitely stealth like and these girls that have been hurt you know when they do finally talk to you, which is a great testament to their trust with you uh, it's just riveting what they will tell you and the foster care system I most of the kids I worked with, I would say probably thirty five percent came out of the foster care system and the ones that I got to rescue with my husband, they were all sexually abused at some point, whether it was a sibling or another, uh, maybe another charge in that foster care home or by the foster care parents. Now, we also have huge neglect. I dealt with a minor recently, and it took $10,000 just in dental after discounts to get her teeth and everything fixed because for fourteen years she'd never seen a dentist, never been to a doctor, criminal neglect as you would probably call it. But uh, and we're looking at what the, the stepfather involved was like and who who didn't do the vetting. There's one thing to say we're short staffed and overworked. That's probably true. But on the other hand, you're you're opening the door for these innocents to be hurt in a greater way than they would if they had somebody that cared. So I'm all for extensive background checks. And look at how many jobs or how many kids those foster parents have had in the past, if they've been regulars, and what happened to those kids. Follow the trail. Find out if these folks are really who they say they are.
0: Man, there's so many avenues that that someone can fall prey to these uh, sex traffickers, these enslavers, and one of them is the social media. And kids today at very young ages, you know, if you can't work your cell phone, the joke goes, hand it to the three-year-old. They can probably fix it for you. But that in itself is extremely dangerous because you have no idea where these kids are going on the social platforms. Who's talking to them? So unless you know parents Absolutely. monitor them and be aware that this is out there. And then say, uh, "No, I don't know who this person is you're talking to." They claim to be a ten year old, mm, but let's find out. But there's a, not always a way in which to find out who these people are on the other side of the social platform.
5: No, in fact, uh, the number for trafficking through social platforms, you know, whether it's TikTok or some of the other ones that have been in the news, uh, is is exponentially greater than it's ever been because the predators and I have firsthand experience watching this was one of the kids we helped they They get online, they chat somebody up, maybe it's an eleven or twelve year old especially uh, during the heavy lockdown periods uh, where the kids were trapped inside. they couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything, so they get online. And somebody says, oh, you know what, I have a friend that went to school in your area. What school do you go to? And so the child will usually tell them, right? And so they think they're conversing with somebody. Uh, Oh, yeah, well, you know, he he or she was da-da-da-da-da, and what teacher is it exactly that? So they gain information, and then they use that. Uh, because they're trying to garner trust with the person on the other end. Now, in the live chat, unless there is a parent or guardian watching or stepping in every few minutes to kind of see how the conversation's going, which is very hard to do, I know, but it's, it's definitely needed. But the, the person on the other end, there's no way to really vet if they're truthful or not, okay? So that could be a 30-year-old man talking to an 11-year-old girl. And the part about that is we have a lot of people doing stings and all of that, but not enough. We're not working hard enough to protect the children in our country and in other countries. And, and that's harsh, but it's the truth. With what I tell folks uh, sometimes is if you're in charge of a child, whether you're a guardian, a grandparent, a parent, and, and you're – your child wants to do a game, you have to watch the whole game with them because the gaming industry has figured out if they give enough lead time in the intro, let's say five, ten minutes, whatever it is, of of safe information or safe gaming, the parent or guardian will probably let the child continue with the game and walk away, make dinner, do whatever they have to do because they're busy people, and that's understandable. But by the time the child gets into the game, it can change drastically. And it can change to something as deviant as uh, entering rooms where any kind of sexual activity is okay. And so if the parent hasn't gone through the whole process, they may miss that, okay? And so the gaming industry and social media are all complicit in the propagation of using kids as product and I think that, again, we continue to fight for Internet safety. One of our members, enough is enough. They've been fighting for 30 years for Internet safety. They've had a lot of victories. But, again, the demand fuels the supply. And without the demand, we wouldn't have the supply because there would be no profit in it.
0: Well, you know, we're running down on the clock waiting for our next guest to call in, but we'll, so we'll keep on going. Um, one of the interesting chapters that I read was about Bishop Donna Lynn Hubbard. Wow. What? Give us briefly what it is, and I want to thank you for joining us.
5: Well, my goodness, uh, Bishop Donna is an amazing woman. I mean, when you think about someone who actually went to jail to escape her predators, what she had to go through, what happened to her, all the people that knew uh, what was being done to her, having the children, I don't want to ruin it for the readers, but you definitely want to read that chapter because it is extraordinary. And now, you know, she is in charge of, I don't know how many churches now as a bishop out of uh, Atlanta, uh, Georgia, and uh, is connected to over 150 churches internationally. So she's influencing all of these folks for the better, educating them. And, again, you know, this is one of the reasons we wanted to get this book out. And it's on Amazon.com. So if somebody wants to get the ebook or buy a paperback, it helps support our efforts. But that's exactly where you can go to get it. Uh, but her story is probably one of the most compelling and probably – I think that was one of the stories that blew me away, and I've I've seen a lot, I've lived through a lot, but I have never had heard or read a story like hers. So I'm going to leave it at that.
0: <laughs> well, Andy, thank you very much for joining us. You know you're welcome back anytime. Andy Berger, and your book is Voices Against Trafficking, and you're the executive director at Beulah's Place. God bless you for the hard work you do, Andy.
5: You too. Thank you both. I appreciate it.
0: Okay. All right, check out Andy Berger, Voices Against Trafficking. And now I do have to apologize to our next guest. I have been remiss. The world has been upside down the last several years. I did not have you come back on, but, hey, I made up. So I want to welcome ringside politics, Jeff Cruer. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing? Hey,
6: Annie. Good. Thanks for having me. How are you?
0: Oh, I'm hanging in there. I think I'm battling a little bit of a cold right now. So if I sound a little nasally, that's it. But uh, your TV program is now up on WLAE TV. Congratulations.
6: Well, actually, it's on uh, Real America's Voice Network, which is uh, seen on all kinds of different platforms. And I uh, am excited about that. So every every day from 7 to 8 Central, uh, the first hour is on TV and radio, then the rest of it is on uh, the radio station in New Orleans, uh, WGSO. So we have a little bit of TV and a lot of radio every day.
0: <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. What time are you on?
6: So 7 to 11 in the morning on weekdays. So uh, you caught me now. I'm, I'm coming down after my, my show today. And, uh, yeah, been uh been coming up on 23 years, Annie. Coming up on 23 Holy years on the air, believe it or cow. not.
0: Holy cow. Let me see. This is 2000. So I am going on to my, is it 12th? 2010? Yeah, 12th year. We're two, I see 12th year doing this. Wow. So you got me beat. Hands down. Hands down. Um, <laughs> you're. You're also got some articles up on Town Hall, I see, too.
6: Right, yes. Uh, I enjoy writing for them, and uh, there's a great audience of readers there. So, yeah, we write about a lot of different compelling topics and and things that particularly irk me uh, that I want (laughs) to sort of get off my chest. Oh, no, you don't get irked, do you? Really, Jeff? No, you don't. Uh, In this day and age, it happens every Almost every hour of every day. I mean, there's always something uh, <laughs> happening. I, I look at the president. I look at what's going on at the, in Congress and oh, um, in the media, Annie. It's just, uh, yeah, a lot of different things I have to sound off about. So anyway, <laughs> luckily I have a forum to be able to do that. It's cathartic.
0: Well, you know, it's funny. I had my tea party meeting on Monday. Uh, yes, I still have an active tea party since 2009. I keep going. And we had a lot of new faces. A lot of people have moved into South Carolina. They're fleeing the blue states and coming to those of us that are red. And I've been living down here now 21 years. And I told my group, you know, just before we parted, I said, I'm glad to see all these brand new faces coming in, especially the Yankees that moved down here. I said, the first thing I learned when I moved to South Carolina, the very first thing is We don't give a damn how you did it up north.
6: (laughs) Isn't that true? That's exactly right. That is exactly right because you know all these people are moving out of the north, and that was a recent column, Annie, that people are fleeing these uh, blue states. And they're just – they want to get away from all these policies which are anti-business and anti-freedom, so they come to places like South Carolina. They come to places like Florida, and we don't want them to bring their politics with them.
0: No, they, we don't. And believe it or not, I said, one of the reasons why I moved here is because it was a highly patriotic state, a highly red state. That's one of the reasons why we chose this area, because it just politically aligned with us. Uh, but people are coming down, and they're bringing their liberal politics with them. I mean, I heard somebody in my county council start bandoing the word out, sustainability. I'm like, I'm doing one of
6: those WTF oh. moments. Uh, you want to you wanna
0: get me going? You say su- sustainability.
6: Hear I mean, the words, Annie. When they start saying words like uh, diversity, inclusion, equity, sustainability, resilience, uh, those are the words that make you want to go crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no doubt.
0: You know, cause we're, nationwide, we're all going through this redistricting because of the census. And uh-huh. we've been battling because they've been trying to break us up because we had our previous representative was Joe Birkan Cunningham, which we replaced with Nancy Mace, but he wants to come back in. So he's been trying to redraw the district lines. Well, it didn't work. It did not work. And we with a resounding no said, no, 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 no. But this is what something as, as most. Americans are not paying attention to redistricting. But that is highly important, isn't it?
6: Oh, it is. It is. I mean, Democrats are going to try to in their states uh, get as many blue seats as they can, and and Republicans need to play the same game. I mean, they need to use the advantage of their majority to draw the district lines in a way to maximize the number of Republican seats. And because the Democrats are doing it, Republicans have to do it too. Otherwise, They're not going to get control of Congress, and Democrats will continue to push these policies that are detrimental to our country. I mean, the Democrats have really fallen off the left edge. I mean, they are way out there with these socialist policies, and and we've got to stop them. And, And we can't turn over redistricting to the Democrats, and Republicans need to make sure that these districts represent Republicans fairly. So it's a real battle. It's going on here in Louisiana. And Democrats are trying to take one of the congressional seats here in Louisiana from the Republicans. And uh, it's going on everywhere. And, of course, California and New York, they're trying to redistrict out uh, all the Republican seats they can.
0: Oh, yeah. And this is where the everyday person has to get their voice heard because we rallied the people in our county, and they said the largest response to the redistricting was from my county because I worked with the GOP with my Tea Party and we had people just inundating phone calls, emails, uh, in-person testimony, uh, video testimony. I mean, we just bombarded them to the point where the Senate judiciary just, was it Tuesday? Tuesday, I believe. Oh, no, Wednesday. Wednesday voted for the map that we endorsed. And so, yeah, our voices really do matter. You may think you're just one person, but you compound it, one person
6: and then another and then another, and that one person becomes thousands. Right, and, and that's why uh, you know, having political muscle, having political involvement, getting people off the couch and getting them out there at these meetings is critical is because the Democrats pay these people. They pay their activists. Uh, they get out there, they try to bully these uh, committees, they try to bully everything toward their advantage, and a lot of times they have the numbers and uh, conservatives aren't aren't out there. Conservatives are too busy working, they're too busy raising their family, they're too busy living. Democrats have the paid activists to do nothing but try to uh, harass uh, these decision makers, and a lot of times they they win. They get things their way, districts drawn their way, policies made their way. So we've got to match their intensity with our own because literally we are fighting Annie to save our country from these people.
0: It is it is an absolute fight, but uh, we will I think in the end succeed. So you know you have so many great articles up on Town Hall. I just don't even know which one to, to keep on. But uh, one of the things that we're finding is that because the average person is speaking, we're seeing places like Virginia start to go from uh, being a blue state into purple, possibly pushing to red. So They they set the blueprint up, I think, about what we're going to see in our elections coming in right. November.
6: You know, that was an inspiration to me because that had been a state that had been moving in the wrong direction. And – Republicans weren't connecting there. They were were not winning. Then all of a sudden, parents got involved. They got uh, energized about this critical race theory. Republicans started supporting the parents. Democrats got on the side of bureaucrats against the parents. And and that whole issue lit a fire under the uh, GOP. They won the House of Delegates. They won Attorney General, Lieutenant Governor, and Governor. They swept the top three positions. Now we've got an attorney general in there who before day one fired 30 leftists from the uh, attorney general's office. The new governor gets in there and he issues nine executive orders and directives, gets rid of critical race theory, gets rid of mass mandates, gets rid of vaccine mandates, gets him out of this uh, greenhouse gas, climate change nonsense coalition that the state was in, and then cuts regulations by 25%. So they hit the ground running, and, and that's what I think voters want to see. They want to see the Republican Party acting boldly and taking action, and, and that's what we haven't seen from Republicans a lot of times, uh, Annie, in the past.
0: Well, we got to get rid of you know Republicans like Mitch McConnell or Mitt Romney. You know, we have to get rid of those wishy-washy, squishy ones that are in there to make money for themselves and not to represent we the people and what we see in youngkin is he's part of we the people and that's what we need more and more of i mean here in south carolina in our district one we already have six people trying to primary nancy mace because on january 6th she suddenly was like oh my goodness this can't be done and like wait a minute nancy Before you open your big mouth, why don't you find out exactly what's going on on January 6th and what happened to those people that are still locked up behind bars that have not even seen a trial? Why don't you do what Marjorie Taylor Greene is doing and defend we the people?
6: Right. Well, Nancy Mace is a big disappointment to me uh, because I thought she was going to be a strong conservative and – She's gotten on the wrong side of President Trump. She's gotten on the wrong side of Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's gotten on the wrong side of the January 6th protesters. Uh, she seems to be a rhino in many respects, and I don't know. I'm glad people are running against her. I think that's great. And uh, you know, all these different people that voted to uh, indict President Trump, convict President Trump, that uh, vote with the Democrats in Congress on key issues. Yeah, they need to be primary. Uh, they need to be uh, really taken on by you know, average citizens. Uh, we, need, uh, we need fighters up there. We don't need people that are going to accommodate the Democrats and kowtow to the media. We've got to get rid of the Adam Kingsingers and the Liz Cheney's and all these oh, people please. that are phony rhinos. We have a group down here that we started, um, Annie. It's called Rhino Recall. And we are trying to get rid of a rhino state legislator here in uh, Louisiana. It's never been done. Recall, get him out of office before even the next election. And we're hoping this is going to light a fire nationally, so we can start, you know, taking back the party from these rhinos.
0: Oh, well, something's got to be done because uh, I'm hearing a lot of people like, well, I don't Democrat and I don't vote Republicans. They're both bad. W- what are you left with? Just what are you left with? Because we are, right now basically are a two-party system. So you either go left or you go right. And it, well, I'll you're tell not you, really given an no, option.
6: There's no, there's not much difference between the rhinos and the establishment Republicans and the Democrats. I mean, they're sort of uh, the same. I mean, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer and all these people that have been up there for decades. I mean, they're. They're all of them horrible. Uh, so the the real ones that that I want to find reinforcements for are people like Marjorie Taylor Green and, and Jim Jordan, and and people that are that are fighters, people that are true conservatives representing us as people, and that's that's a true difference between somebody like that and uh, one of these Democrats. But you know when you've got rhinos like Mitch McConnell uh, and. Uh, you know people like Liz Cheney. I mean, what? There's not much difference, I don't think, between them and the Democrats.
0: No, there, uh, there's zero difference. I don't think there's a single line out there.
6: Oh, but how, wait a minute,
0: hang, hang on. You know, Nancy Pelosi just had an epiphany. Did you? Were you aware of this? Suddenly, she's agreeing with all people. At AOC that maybe if you're in Congress, maybe you shouldn't be trading stocks. Maybe we should put that in a trust fund or something like that, a blind trust. And if we're going to be voting on legislation that involves companies that we may end up buying stocks from, that's not quite a good idea, is it? Can you believe Nancy Pelosi suddenly has this
6: epiphany after
0: she made how many millions of dollars last year?
6: I read that her and her husband are worth uh, over $300 million, and I was also reading, uh, Annie, over the weekend about, uh, last weekend, about uh, Joe Biden's net worth. And, you know, he spends a quarter of his time, three, a third of his time in Delaware. And his houses there are multi-million dollar mansions in Delaware. I mean, he's got a, he's got a big mansion in Wilmington, a, a big mansion on the beach. They're worth, you know, multi-millions of dollars. And I'm thinking... He's supposed to be a public servant. He's supposed to be, uh, you know, he's fifty years as a politician, as a serving the people on a salary of a U.S. senator. Where do you get all these uh, dollars? Where did all this money come from? So all these politicians seem to cash in, uh, Annie, and uh, we, the people, always are on the losing end.
0: Yeah, and Hunter Biden is coming out now about his direct connections to communist China, the communist Chinese party and his investments in there you know where's a guy that doesn't even have a law degree much less brains to do a painting suddenly have all this influence oh because daddy dear now wait a minute you go after trump saying that his kids are influencing you know but no, no, you don't go after biden for hunter
6: I, it, <laughs> right. I mean, uh, has there ever been a more corrupt son of a president? Has there ever I been have... a more scandalous son of a president? I mean, he has a sex sex tape. I mean, he, he's on uh, video with prostitutes, I mean, or, or maybe underage girls. I mean, he's doing drugs. I mean, he's a crackhead. Uh, he left a crack pipe in a, in a rental car after he uh, turned it in. He's had out of wedlock children with a stripper and tried to deny his paternity uh, until she went to court. So he's got a child out of wedlock that the Biden family hasn't embraced. You know, in, in all the Christmas cards, they don't they don't mention that child. Uh, <laughs> and this guy had an affair with his dead brother's wife. I mean, he is a mess, and now he's an artist. And and you know what Joe Biden said, Annie? Joe Biden said that he was the smartest person he knows. Hunter. (laughs)
0: Um, He he, must have a lot of pet rocks. He needs to widen his
6: circle. I mean, my gosh, if that's that's the smartest person he knows, oh, my goodness. He's surrounded by pet rocks. That's all it is. That's the only explanation. (laughs) Yeah, and but, then you know when you see Joe Biden at the news conference and you see how he acted and you you oh, know we're in trouble. We're we're in trouble. That that man is mentally incompetent. He can't be president. Somebody's obviously running the country on his behalf and you know, this whole thing has been a scam and it's really frustrating. Uh, that, that that's what we're facing right now. It's it's really putting us in in danger.
0: It is, it is, and you know the funniest part is, is that God bless my mom. She's 89 years old, and she sees uh, Biden up on the screen. She starts yelling at the TV screen. She sees nasty Pelosi. She starts yelling at the TV screen. Gotta love her. You gotta love her at 89. I love she's it. Sharper love than it. The, she's far. She, you, you can take a hundred Bidens, and she's sharper than all of them t- put together. So, <laughs> But this is the thing that was really scary if if you I'm sure you watched the uh n- that news conference and the way he meandered to the point where even Vernon Jones on CNN is saying wait a minute the oars may not be hitting the water in this guy's head.
6: Right. Uh he he criticized it and so did David Axelrod and uh they said he said they need to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you've got Obama alumni criticizing you you know it's bad and yeah I think people no no one that that, that watched that could could really feel secure about our country uh, and feel comfortable in his leadership I mean there were many parts of the news conference where he just sort of seemed lost and he stopped talking and he long pauses and uh, he kept looking at his watch and you know it, it just was it was uncomfortable I mean it's it's a big difference to see what he does, and then to remember back how President Trump did his news conferences. You know where he mm-hmm. would take on the reporters, and he would uh, he would ask you know Jim Acosta, let him uh, ask him questions, and you know Biden's got it all scripted and probably knows what the questions are. It's pathetic. Well, the left is
0: starting to realize that there's some problems here. I mean, when you even have Bill Maher. Turning around, saying, "Wait a minute, we've got some problems here, and maybe the people on the right just may be correct." Now, that is how far I think the left has pushed themselves.
6: Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're, thank goodness there are a few honest liberals out there who will who will call it out and say, "Hey, we got a problem," and uh, and admit that this guy is just not up to the job. I mean, he. Uh, he is mentally incompetent. He should be in a rest home, uh, one commentator said, with a warm bowl, bowl of soup and maybe his slippers and maybe getting some treatment and, and getting some help and, and you know, getting some fresh air and long walks and, and that kind of thing. He, he certainly doesn't need to be you know, with his finger on the uh, nuclear uh, button.
0: Now, that's the scary part, too, because if you actually physically look at him, the way he looks, the way he walks, Uh, compared to when he was running for the presidency, it's night and day. You can see the physical deterioration on him.
6: Yeah, he sort of shuffles. And, uh, of course, his speaking style is mumbling and bumbling and fumbling and uh, incorrect. He's constantly correcting himself. And, you know, he just seems to be not quite there. So, yeah, you're right. Physically, and mentally, it's a massive deterioration.
0: It is. It is. You know, um, talking about bumbling Biden, we recently had this attack on the synagogue in uh, Texas. And as we're learning the details, oh, first, it's not a terrorist attack. No, it's not anti-Semitism. Now, as things become more and more public, we find out that British intelligence knew about this guy. This guy served several prison terms in England, and yet we allowed him in, but we can't allow a legal migrant in, but we allow him in. And this is not a terrorism attack.
6: I know. What what does that tell you? One about uh, what's going on at our airports where we allow terrorists into the country. How did a guy who wound up in a homeless shelter in Texas afford an international flight from the UK to uh, Kennedy Airport, JFK? And then how did we let him in? And then how did the FBI mess it up so bad? I mean could he be any more clear? I mean he kept yelling F the Jews. He kept saying he wanted a terrorist release from prison. He picked a synagogue to go to where he held people hostage. I think it was pretty clear to the FBI that this guy was a terrorist and he was trying to target Jews, anti-Semitic, yet they didn't seem to figure it out or, or they were trying to cover it up. I mean it's shocking. I mean, what's what's happened with our FBI? Um, um, you know, they turned against the January 6th protesters and put the whole full force of the FBI to go after these people. And uh, they say white supremacy is the biggest threat in the country today.
0: Uh, no, they're going no.
6: after parents, school board uh, meetings that speak out of school board meetings and, and parents that are enraged at what's happening to their children. That's what the FBI is doing. And then they they miss a case of clear terrorism and don't call it what it is. I don't know. Uh,
0: Curtis move move your mic back, Curtis, because uh, it sounds like you're having some heavy sex there. <laughs> 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 My <co-host>. like <laughs> My
4: breathing, huh?
0: Yeah, it sounds like having a little there. heavy sex there. Jeez. Oh, uh, anyway, uh, you pointed out the going after parents. You know, there was. Was it in Texas just recently that they actually raided a, a family's home because they were at a school board meeting the school board wasn't happy with what was being said? Oh, my goodness. That, hey, I'm a prime candidate there. Even though I don't have kids, I speak before the school board because I pay the taxes for the school board. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to make my voice. So imagine them raiding my house. Wait a minute. Here comes the those little black SUVs. Uh, here they come. This is the threat they use against a legal citizen exercising their First Amendment right to uh, of free speech and to petition the government. You, you do what you – It's scary. Le- it's scary. Yeah. And then next thing you know, you are being placed in handcuffs and your children inside your house are being terrorized because the school board sicked the police on you because they weren't happy that you spoke your mind?
6: Crazy. I mean, we've got uh, we've got a real problem (laughs) going on in our country today. And, you know, in in my view, instead of calling them uh, terrorists, uh, these parents are heroes. I mean, they're they're standing up for their kids. They're they're standing up against critical race theory. They're trying to uh, preserve uh, the school system in their communities. And instead, the Biden administration is sticking the FBI on these people. I mean, that is a massive scandal. And, you know, our our school system today in in many of these uh, states is is ruined. And, you know, we've got this uh, horrific curriculum that they're pushing. And uh, one of the people I recently interviewed, Annie, was a a homeschool advocate. And he was saying that the number of parents that are now taking their kids out of school is really uh, growing. And uh, homeschooling is really growing as an alternative. And, I mean, I think that's great because you're not going to have the kind of bias. I mean, you can control how your kids are, are taught at home. But, of course, not every family has got that kind of capability to be able to homeschool. So it's not for everyone, unfortunately. Well, what
0: we're finding here is also that they're starting these homeschool pods so the parents can rotate. So, you know, you're not there 24-7, you know, schooling your kids. Uh, But you also have the kids interacting with other kids in these little pods, so that they're they're developing new methods in which to do the homeschooling where it can work, where they can still do their job, you know, earn a living, and yet still homeschool the kids. Well, that
6: that is very creative. That is awesome. That is awesome, and that's that's got to be the wave of the future because these public school systems are disasters. And, and they're not getting the job done. And uh, look, look what's going on in Chicago. They're, they refuse to teach. Uh, these these teachers won't teach in, in the classroom and they've been doing it remotely. And we know uh, that the children don't learn as well remotely. And they, they learn better in an in-person environment. And these school systems have gotten billions and billions and billions of dollars from the federal government as part of the American Rescue Plan and other bills. And the fact that they're not, they're not teaching i just talked to somebody on the show recently saying we have all these thousands of schools that are that are not open for in person uh instruction that they're, they're doing remote learning and and that's an outrage you
0: no know, it is it is you know between forcing kids who are least likely to get the virus or spread it Uh, to wear masks, demanding that they be vaccinated. If they're not, they have to be quarantined. You know, um, a friend of mine is a substitute teacher at the local Catholic school. And for some reason, the diocese here out of Charleston mandated masks. And if you're not vaccinated and you're in contact with someone who may have had COVID, uh, you have to quarantine. And she's fighting them. She goes, wait a minute. You know, there's a lot of kids here that can't learn if they're wearing a mask because if you're trying to teach them Spanish, how are they going to see how you form the words? If, you know, they, they rely on right. facial expressions right. and gestures to understand better. So, you know, right. forcing them into the masks is the worst thing you can do for a child. But, Jeff, we are run out of time. It is always a blast to have you. I'm going to have to have you back on a little bit more often. How does that sound?
6: I'd love it, Annie. Anytime. It's always a pleasure to be with you and uh thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: Oh, you know I always do it right off the top of my head. I'm completely unscripted, so
6: you never know what's
0: gonna happen.
6: And and all of your listeners, I'd love for them to check out my website which is my last name, Crew Air C R O U E R E dot net. And you're the
0: host of Ringside Politics. God bless you. Thank you, Annie. All right. Check out Jeff Pruer at Ringside Politics and his website. I want to welcome onto the show a newcomer. He is running for lieutenant governor out of the state of Pennsylvania, and boy, is that an uphill climb! Want to welcome Teddy Daniels. (laughs) Good afternoon, Teddy. How are you doing?
1: Good afternoon. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on today.
0: Oh, it is our pleasure. You've got one of the craziest states. You think. You know, it would be a state of freedom, you know, but like Virginia, you ended up going blue. Uh, But now you guys are trying to take it back one seat at a time.
1: Yeah, and and I can tell you this. It's always been a red state. There there were a lot of uh, election issues that happened in Pennsylvania, as I'm sure the rest of the uh, country knows as well. And uh, we are a red state. And, and we're just going to take it back as a red state and end the tyranny that's been happening in Harrisburg.
0: Well, yeah, and you have Harrisburg and Philadelphia are the two that control the state, those two cities, even though the rest of the state may be red. So you've got to take back those cities, too.
1: Oh, we will. We will. We have Pittsburgh as well. Um, you know, and, and, and I'll tell you this, I think I think the populist movement, I think the America First movement, uh, many folks are amped, just amped to come out and vote to where a lot of the rhinos in the populated areas you know they're kind of uh nonchalant in their in their desire
0: you know um we have these roving mobs that have been doing you know sidewalk grocery shopping or sidewalk shopping, as I call it uh just devastating whole shopping neighborhoods, just doing a free-for-all. As lieutenant governor, what would you do to try to take back the law and order in those cities?
1: Well, I'm actually a former police officer as well. So what we need to do is, yes, yes, we need to start refunding law enforcement. We need to stop demonizing and vilifying law enforcement uh, in the media, through politics, and so on and so forth. You know, I can tell you that these men and women have the toughest job in the world out there, and we need to back them. And when you start defunding police, one of the first things that goes is the training budget. And, you know, we need, we need well-trained, motivated, uh, hard-charging officers on our streets who need to be able to go out, do their jobs, not fear uh, political retaliation. Retribution uh, from DAs, from political offices, or even woke leadership within their own agencies.
0: That's a huge amen because I look at my brethren in in blue in New York City, and I'm like, we worked hard under Giuliani to take back the city, and what De Blasio has done in such a short time is is criminal. It's absolutely criminal. And men and women. I've I've lost friends, you know, laid down their lives defending and protecting. And uh, all said now, in the media, we are completely vilified. We're the bad guys because we're trying to help protect your life and your property. But we're the bad guys.
1: You're right. And you look, this is in every major Democrat-run city uh, across the country is, is these crime surges. It is unsafe. Anymore, I think for anybody to live in or go into and and and, you know I've been in combat in Afghanistan and you know that's almost what like these these cities are turning into they're turning into third world countries a good friend of mine who's a Philadelphia police officer was actually shot twice two days before Christmas he's alive he's doing well but like it's gunfights every day in these cities against criminals and it seems that the, that the rules and the laws don't apply to the criminals, only to those enforcing the laws. And, and that's so have, true. That's
2: and so true. The, um,
0: yeah, go yeah, ahead,
2: Carter. I was,
0: well, <laughs> was going to say, yeah, DAs that will not prosecute, you've got revolving door justice is what we would call it. You know, no sooner did you arrest the person, the DA lets them walk straight on out without charges or with lesser charges. And it is so frustrating. So how how does the cop do their job? They basically can't. And it looks like our caller dropped. Uh, hopefully he'll call right back in. Anyway, but this is this is a major problem. So hopefully Teddy will call right back in. I don't know what's going on. His phone dropped out. Um, but it is frustrating, Curtis. And you were recently up up in uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I was going so,
4: I was gonna tell him about my visit there twice in the last two months and how it's changed. You know, that's, that's my hometown, um, my birthplace and also the birthplace of the declaration of independence and the United States constitution. And for Philadelphia to be, um, in a state of chaos, it's almost like Lebanon, um, in Philadelphia and I'm I'm sure other urban cities like Baltimore and Memphis and and um Detroit. But um the thing the reality is this. Law enforcement is not allowed to do their job because of um this thing called um profiling and um they just think the minority community has been profiled too many times and um they told the Law enforcement to um, back off, so minor, so-called minor infractions aren't enforceable now, and these people know it, so they they do whatever they want, and they do it without the fear of consequences. So it is it is terrible there because they don't stop with just um, running through a red light or or driving around at night with no lights. They they commit robberies, um, um, break into ATMs and and you name it, murder, commit murder in broad daylight. I mean, it's worse than the, the the fight at, you know, OK Corral.
0: You know, right now, there's an 11-month-old baby fighting for its life in the Bronx. And all the mother was doing was sitting at a traffic light with the child, and a shooting happens, and the child gets shot in the face. It's Somewhere along the way, someone has to start screaming, enough is enough. The laws are in place for a reason, to protect us, to keep us a civil society. And it looks like Teddy is back. Let's see if we can bring him back on. Teddy, you're back with us. Uh, I
1: am. I am. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. We are running into
0: technical difficulties. Either that
1: or the FBI is tapping my phone again. So Yeah. are
4: <laughs> What I was going to say to you, Teddy, I'm from Philadelphia. That's my place of birth, and um, I was there twice in the last two months, November and December, and I was, as I was just telling Andy and our listening audience, it was like being in Lebanon. I mean, there's uh-huh. firefights every day, you know, shootings, and and people just being lawless, and law enforcement has been pretty much... Um, um, handcuffed it, for lack of they, better they have, term.
1: They have, you and, know, um, and they're and not they,
4: allowed to do their job. You know, they were told to, you know, um, back, the, you know, stand down because of the racial profiling um, issues that that they have used to neuter law enforcement. So it's like um, anything
1: goes. And you know, when I was a kid, I, I actually grew up in Montgomery County. And we used to go to to Vet Stadium, uh, you know. We used to go Metro to stadium. the old. Oh yeah. Yeah, we used to go to the, the old Philly. Spectrum. Yep. And yeah. you know, obviously the the Philadelphia yeah. Zoo, and, and and I'll be honest with you, it's just it's completely out of control down there now, it is. to where I don't know where anybody would feel safe walking around. They don't. They don't. It's a it's a scary scary situation, and and I think that's why so many so many people are moving out of these urban areas because of the lawlessness.
4: Well, I have cousins who've been Democrats all their lives, and they are telling me they're going to vote Democrat, I mean Republican because I do educate them and and every chance I can to enlighten them. And I just wish our politicians would do more of that. In other words. Don't, you know, just say, you know, um, these areas are bad, this, that, and other. Put the blame, you know, to those responsible. And that's mm-hmm. usually, the, in these urban areas, the left and, and their politics, the Democrats. And well, it, once it, people it, and, and hear the fact, that, they're it, going to start putting two and two together. Why am I voting for this party and this is the best they can do for us?
1: Well, and, and it's, not, it's not just solely the Democrats, there are a lot of real good men and women who are Democrats, registered Democrats. The Democrats used to be for the working men and women. They used to be for the unions, and they used to be the party of the people. But what ended up happening was the, the Marxist ideology and socialism actually infiltrated the Democrat Party and has pushed out most moderate Democrats. Even if you look at the U.S. Senate, you know you have Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. They're Democrats. They are far from Republicans. But they are the two that are holding the line in the Senate against the the socialist liberal agenda that they're trying to push.
4: Well, the thing you know, I look at is the leadership. I'm not talking about, you know, um, grassroots Democrats, the, you know, blue-collar worker. I'm talking about the leaders within these um, urban cities. It's their policies oh, right. that are wrecking havoc upon these communities and making people more dependent and um, just entitled, a, a feeling of entitlement.
1: I, I believe you're right. I believe you're absolutely right. And, and and it's a lot of the policies that are destroying the cities like Philadelphia. You know, you take a look at Reading, Pennsylvania. You look at Allentown, Pennsylvania. You look at Pittsburgh, Harrisburg, any large Democrat run uh, urban area This is what we're dealing
0: with. Well, you know, you've mentioned some really interesting cities because they used to be the center of the steel industry. And instead, we farmed our steel out to China. And now the skins for our F-35 planes are being made in China. What would you do to bring the steel industry back to Pennsylvania?
1: Well, there's a lot of things that need to happen between the federal and the state level for that to happen. Uh, Obviously, we need tougher trade embargoes and trade policies with China, which would need to happen at the federal level. But what we need to do is is we need to start producing the steel again right here in America. You know, it's American steel that built these cities and built the world. The problem is, is China can... They can outproduce us with lower quality steel at a cheaper price. So, again, you know, there's things that we need to look at in the import-export on what we're going to hit and what we're not going to hit. And I think steel should be one of those to where we can get these plants like Bethlehem Steel, you know, up again. Get these steel mills in Pittsburgh up again. Those are great paying jobs for people. So and, and and I think what really happened, and you see this all around Pennsylvania, when the steel industry started to shut down, the uh, quality of life in those areas really started to uh, subside.
0: Yeah, that's that's the other part of it because we had the steel mill here in Georgetown, South Carolina, that shut down a number of years ago, and then you look at the neighborhood when you go through there and you just shake your head, going, "Why? Why did they let mm-hmm. us go overseas?" Uh, But that's what our government did. Well, you allowed it to go overseas. Uh, But you want to help build uh, Pennsylvania back up strong. And besides being a former police officer and a veteran, uh, you also headed Vets for Trump, correct?
1: I did. I was the Northeast United States director of Vets for Trump. And
0: he, well, during
1: the last election period, so... And let me tell you, it gave me an opportunity to travel the Northeast, uh, speak to veterans, uh, talk to folks, and get people excited to get out for the president.
0: Now, talking about Trump and the elections, uh, you are for reforming the election laws within the state, not the federal government, but for election integrity,
1: correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a big 10th Amendment guy. I don't like the federal takeover that they keep trying to do with our election process. And one of the things we need to do is mandatory voter ID and mandatory signature verification. Now, I know the left keeps coming out and calling these, uh, these policies voter suppression, but yet I have yet to see them march one person on CNN, MSNBC, or any other liberal outlet and stand there and say, "I am registered to vote, and my vote is being suppressed. I have yet to see one person.
0: That's, that is God's honest truth. However, you have to present your vaccine passport in order to eat in a restaurant, but you don't have it, to present it, it, ID to vote.:
1: It's crazy, and, and you know they call they call these voter ID requirements racist. But yet when New York City can require a vaccine passport to sit down and eat at a restaurant and the majority of the ones in New York City who do not want to be or who are not vaccinated is the African-American community. So wouldn't the vaccine passports be considered racist as well? That's my question. It, it's like they, they, they spin an argument to fit a narrative. Uh, I was actually in New York City about a month ago with Colonel Allen West. Uh, mm-hmm. He was actually running for governor of Texas. And he told me he got up that morning in his hotel, went for a run, and then went to go into a diner to get something to eat. And they wouldn't let him in. And they it wasn't because he was black. It wasn't because of anything else. He did not have a vaccine passport. And he said, you know, our ancestors did not fight and die for the liberties in this country. The people to be denied entry into a restaurant for anything, but especially a vaccine passport. He said it reminded him of when, you know, before the wall came down in East Germany. You know, show me your papers. Um, And it's sad. It's really sad what's been happening to this country.
0: It is. It is. It is. Very sad. You know, we're trying to fight to protect our First Amendment rights, which they're chipping away at. But in order to do that, we have to also defend our Second Amendment rights. And we're seeing Congress and other laws going into place to chip away at that also. You know, I've, New York at one point is that you had to have uh, your gun in a safe locked box or have a uh, lock on the guard uh, of it, uh, you see crazy things where the um, was it the uh, FDA was trying to outlaw uh, the bullets because lead was in the bullets. You uh-huh. can't have a bullet that had yep. lead in it. If you remember that a couple of years ago, they will do anything and everything to try to chip away at your Second Amendment rights. Yet there's other states like mine and like in Texas that are pushing back on that one. you are seeing more and more constitutional carry states. Would yes. you like to see Philadelphia being constitutional carry?
1: I would like to see the entire state of Pennsylvania be a constitutional carry state because I'm a firm believer an armed society is a free society, okay? These gun-free zones, criminals do not follow gun-free zone lines or, uh, or laws, okay? They know that if they enter a gun-free zone, you know, that's posted with signs everywhere, that there aren't any guns in there, and they could go in there with their gun and pretty much do whatever they want. So we, we need an armed society. And, and what, I, what I truly hate is when liberal politicians try to attack guns as the reason for the crime, and, and that's not the case at all. So instead of any time a tragedy happens, they go after gun laws. Gun laws, gun laws, gun laws. We need to ban guns. You know what, if they just enforced the laws that they already had on the books, we wouldn't have been in the situation that we're in.
0: No, no. But then again, you have individuals like Alec Baldwin who didn't realize that if you cock the firearm and you let go of (laughs) – you let go, it's going to fire. My my 89-year-old mom was watching this on TV, and she's looking at me and goes, Really? He didn't know that was going to fire if he released the hammer after he cocked it. What?
1: <laughs> exactly. And, 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 and that's all carelessness. That's all ignorance. Um, but the funny thing is, he was the first one out there standing, talking, talking out against firearms. And then, you know, look, look what happens. And that was a tragic situation. You know, the, a person did lose their life due to Alec Baldwin's ignorance. And firearms, you know, uh, you know, my youngest son is four years old. He's got the little Nerf guns and everything else. He knows, you know, don't point that at me or your mom. You just don't do it. And he's like, oh, but there's nothing in it. I said, I don't care. You know, And, and I grew up in a house full of guns and I learned at a very young age how to handle firearms and I learned firearm safety at a very young age. I'm saying at about six years old. So you always have to have that respect with guns, and I think if you do have one in the home, you need to take it out. You need to show your child because it's the adage that curiosity killed the cat. If a kid sees it, he gets to touch it with you, whatever the case may be, that kid, like, when you leave, isn't going to try to get into the gun safe and be like, oh, I want to check out dad's gun. Um, There'd be that sense of familiarity with it.
0: Mm hmm well this is one of the things that I always been a proponent of the ROTC in schools. You know, bring mm-hmm. them back and you have then an armed mini militia in the school to help protect the school or might even prevent school shootings by simply no, having the ROTC.
1: I, I, so the ROTC they and I actually went to a military academy. I graduated from a military academy and we didn't have um, you know, we didn't have the loaded weapons there or anything else. You know, we, 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 did have a rifle team, uh, and things of that nature, but all the drill weapons, that's what they were, were, were actually drill weapons. They were, they were non-fireable weapons. Um, I do like the ROTC idea back in the schools. And the other thing that I would love to see more of is the vote tech programs and trade schools. My father was a brick and stone mason. He went to a trade school. And I I think for years in school, you were always taught, go to college or get good grades in high school, go to college, get good grades, and then you could end up working for somebody else. And it was always, oh, it's the dumb kids that went to the tech school or the dumb kids that went to the trade school. And and these were from liberal guidance counselors back then. And you take a look at where we are today. Boy, we need tradesmen. We need craftsmen. Yeah. And those are the big money professions now.
0: Yeah, try to get a handyman. Try to get mm-hmm. a handyman to do anything around here. Unless you've got those basic skills, <laughs> if you own a home, your home's going to go into complete disrepair unless you're able to get a competent worker in there. A plumber, a welder, a carpenter. You know, these are necessities in our society, and not everyone is college material. And they may be having a brain of an Einstein, but they may not be a college candidate. Maybe their genius is in something else, in creating through welding. Or I've seen some beautiful <laughs> carpentry work done. And you try to get oh, someone absolutely. to do that today, and that is a craft. That is an art I, to do.
3: I'm sorry. But also, I, I, think,
1: <laughs> I think one of the issues that, that we have fallen victim to in society Is putting college at the end-all, be-all, you know, to where, I'll be honest with you, I think it takes more of a skilled person to, you know, a cognitive thinker to make it through a trades program today than it would be a a four-year institution. And, And we do. We need so many more of those people out there.
0: That, that we do. That we do. And I had one more question for you, and I was just trying to remember what the heck was going on. Oh, yeah. Uh, illegal aliens being dumped in your state, courtesy of the Biden administration. Um, would you do something like DeSantis does, round those guys up and ship them back?
1: I would ship them right back. I would drive the bus. Like that, <laughs> that, that's, how, that's how serious it is. You know, uh, I actually, it happened right in the area that I live. I did a live video with the woman who actually took the photographs and recorded all this stuff. You know, I had, I had sources inside the airport who were filling me in on when the next flights are coming and going. And, and, and we actually brought that story, um, you know, a lot of attention here in, in Pennsylvania. And because of that, they are now no longer bringing them to our airport. They're taking them to another airport. So now what needs to happen is we need to keep drawing attention to that to where they don't land in Pennsylvania at all.
0: That would be a huge amen because people don't understand the uh, cost to the community, not just health-wise, but monetarily-wise. The cost that taxpayers have to absorb, Section 8 housing, clothing, yep. food, education, medical care. You know, it's nonstop. And each one of these people is costing the taxpayers hundreds and thousands of dollars in the long run.
1: No, you're right. You're right. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. And, you know, we need to take – and that's why I I love saying America first all the time is we need to take care of our own first. You know, it's not that I'm not a humanitarian and I don't have a heart and I don't care about the rest of the world, but we need to take care of our people. And and that's the most important thing.
0: That is – that is now. People can find you where
1: uh, TeddyDanielsPA.com. dot com. They can find me on Facebook as Teddy Daniels and on Twitter at Teddy 4 PA. So again, we're we know Pennsylvania is a red state, and we're looking to turn it red again.
0: Well, let's let's hope from your lips to God's ears, and maybe we find somewhere along the way another Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> what do you
1: think? <laughs> That'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs>
0: oh man, I see him doing those TV commercials about the uh, the, the walk-in uh, showers, and I have to crack up because he is he is a character.
1: <laughs> he is. He definitely is. I, I grew up on on Terry Bradshaw, so yeah, i I've always been a big fan of his.
0: <laughs> He's nutty as a fruitcake, but that's great. That's why we love him so much. That's another problem: political correctness in our sports. And, you know, uh, NFL yeah. is no place for politics. You know, people would come, and it doesn't matter what side of a political spectrum you are, you sit side by side in the stands, you cheer your teams on. It doesn't matter if you voted for Obama or if you voted for Trump. You're cheering on a team. You're enjoying the athletics and the camaraderie. Yeah. So, and, and I we've think
1: it's got- the organizations themselves that created that divide. You look at the NBA, the, the NFL, the Major League Baseball, you know, they've all created that divide. And, again, I think they've ruined athletics for a lot of, for a lot of people.
0: That they have. And now you have the violation of Title IX by having transgenders uh, compete in female sports. Title IX was to help a female yep. get ahead. But if you have the body of a man, even though you've done all the surgery, you still have the the strength and a man has, which is more than a woman. We have in different ways, but what is with these guys? That's
1: going to end in Pennsylvania, too. That's going to end in Pennsylvania, too. If you were born a man, you compete as a man. If you were born a woman, you compete as a woman. There will be no more men's in women's sports in Pennsylvania.
0: Now, would you suggest a league for just transgenders?
1: No. If you were born a man, you compete with men.
0: Well, Teddy, I wish you a lot of luck. Uh, when is your primary coming up?
1: Uh, May seventeenth. May seventeenth.
0: So right around the corner. Looking...
1: Yes, ma'am. We're gonna have a big party that night.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck. luck and God bless. People will find you again. TeddyDanielsPA.com. Correct.
1: You got it, ma'am. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Have a blessed day.
1: Thank you. Right. you do check the thing.
0: Check out TeddyDanielsPA.com. We've got our next victim in on the line, and let me just see if I can bring him on uh, from the Epic Times. And here we go. Matthew Vadum. Good afternoon, Matthew. How are you today? How are you? Can you hear me all right? Yes, sir. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Excellent. Loud and clear.
7: Excellent. Excellent. Great. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, you're sitting in for my friend Mark Tapscott, who I've known for quite a long time. But uh, yeah, he's good.
7: He's a he's a good man. I've known him a long time.
0: Yeah, and I get the Epic Times. I, I get the paper in my mailbox, honestly. So yes, right. I do read the stuff. Um, so we you were talking you, about you pay you
7: pay my salary. Thank you.
0: <laughs> and I use your material. <laughs> Um, I was talking to our last guest, who's running for lieutenant governor out of Pennsylvania, about the illegal alien situation that we have here. And you had an interesting article uh, about them getting now free lawyers paid by local governments. A lot of people don't understand the cost, because I was talking about what, of cost when they bust them into your neighborhood for Section 8 housing, uh, clothing, uh, food stamps, education, medical care, and on and on and on. But now you add to that bill that we're paying for their legal assistance.
7: That's right. That's right. They're, um, they're paying. The, you know, the federal government is kicking in and state and local governments are kicking in um, tax dollars. And a lot of people didn't know about that. And I hope that the article uh, raised, uh, you know, I hope that it informs people that this is going on because a lot of people don't think it's right.
0: All right now, we do have a right to counsel, but does that extend to someone here illegally? Right. Yeah, that's a right to
7: counsel. When they're talking about it in the legal context, usually means right to government-paid counsel. But if you're accused in an immigration proceeding, like they want to deport you or whatever, you have the right to legal representation. Uh, you can represent yourself, or you can pay a lawyer. Uh, you know to represent you. Uh, you have like right to counsel in that sense, but you don't have a right to paid counsel. Uh, that only exists in criminal proceedings. Going back to a case, I think it was from the '60s called Gideon versus Wainwright, saying that criminal defendants have a right to government-paid counsel if they can't um, afford their own counsel.
0: Now, uh, what is this Vera Institute of Justice, and how are they sticking their fingers into the pie?
7: Well, the the Vera Vera Institute of Justice is is very hostile to America. Um, They say right on their website that uh, uh, in its scale and brutality, the American justice system is a global aberration. It incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. People of color are incarcerated at an unmistakably higher rate than white people. And, you know, they are part of the movement to, uh, to, the anti-incarceration movement they want to shut down prisons they don't want people to go to jail and they don't make any distinction in their minds between people accused of violating immigration laws such as illegal aliens and any other person charged with a, with a, an ordinary crime uh, outside of the immigration laws so they think that everybody should get free counsel uh, paid for by the government uh, even if they're uh, accused of being illegal aliens and the government is trying to remove them from the country, so that's that's their position and it's a pretty radical position. But that's what they they stand for. They're a um, definitely a left of center group and they're funded. Uh, uh, they're, well, I don't know if they're funded by George Soros, but they're they're definitely friendly with George Soros, uh, the radical anti American leftist billionaire and uh they're doing the kind of thing that that he approves of,
0: yeah my mom sees George Soros on the, on the t v screen, and it's like there goes the raw eye roll <laughs> so, right but, uh, they right, yeah, they just yep. had the the davos uh conference uh which Soros and several other billionaires uh were pushing this global one world you know unity uh. But my thing is, what they're pushing is a communist, Marxist, you know, ideology. You know, but here they are; they made their money as capitalists.
7: Well, that's always been the paradox about George Soros: um, is that he's such a genius at making money; he's so good at it, and yet he hates the system that allows him to make money. So, he, you know, he would kill the, gu- the, go- uh, the golden goose uh, for everybody else after he's um, made billions and billions of dollars. And uh, he just, he hates uh, markets and he hates uh, freedom, uh, to put it simply. And so do these other um, do-gooder billionaires who go to the World Economic Forum meetings in, in Davos, Switzerland. Uh, you know they want to control our lives, they want to control how much living space we have, uh, like in America through the, their promotion of agenda twenty one uh, they they want us to not eat meat because they think meat uh, the production of meat, you know cows and what have you is um, producing too much carbon dioxide and and uh changing the climate and destroying the planet. They would rather literally have us eat bugs because they say. Eating bugs is better for the environment. So they they have a lot of radical ideas that, that would not go over well in American society, and yet they have support among elite um, left-wing globalists like George Soros and uh, and people like Bill Gates. So Bill Gates is not as bad as some of the other ones, but just giving him as an example.
0: Mm. I, I was watching some of the clips on that. And they are really radical, and yet people entertain it. As a matter of fact, Fauci testified before them. What does Fauci have to do with Davos?
7: Well, he he's part of the same. I don't think he's a billionaire, but he's definitely a wealthy man. I believe he's the highest-paid U.S. government uh, employee, making four hundred and something thousand dollars a year, and uh, he definitely shares their their mindset, and he's part of this leftist um, elite that thinks that they know better than everyone else and they want to set the rules by which you live your life. So they want to tell you what to do because they know better in their opinion. So that is, and and Fauci is an inspiration to many of them because he's been doing this sort of thing for a long time and getting the science and the facts wrong uh, for decades like going back to when uh, the AIDS crisis began, uh, he was he was on the wrong side of that question, too. So the guy never gets anything right pretty well, and uh, uh, he has the same ideas that these people have, and so, of course, he's going to be a hero to them.
0: Well, you know, it's funny how China just ties up into everything here, because even China, who is the... Um Keynote speaker premier z you know got yep. the so he's there Chinese influence on the conference and yet fauci has great number of investments with communist China which in turn gave us the communist china virus covid uh, oh, oh by the way, and those k9 k n ninety five masks produced in China that don't work that Nancy Pelosi was happily handing out it It's one huge incestuous relationship here,
7: well, it is yes, and fauci was also apparently directing grants to the Wuhan um, Institute of virology that uh helped to create that that apparently helped to create the uh the coronavirus and uh they you know there's there's a lot that we don't know yet, but what we do know is is pretty damning so far. And so clearly Fauci is, is more part of the problem than he's part of the solution. Uh, mm. He's been involved in this kind of thing for a long time.
0: Yeah. It's funny because now uh, England came out of lockdown and one of the head uh, people with the, the vaccine saying, I don't think we need to vaccinate any it's It's don't worry about it. So, you know, there are countries that are opening up, but yet, doubt you'd like to see us still remain a locked-up nation. Um, it like has that,
7: to be like Australia, which has turned into into, oh. into a totalitarian country, and New Zealand as well, where they, they regulate people's. You know, at least in us, I'm not sure about New Zealand, but in Australia, you if you they'll have apps and electronic uh, devices, and and if you are in a place. That you said you were not going to be, the police will come out and, uh, you know, ticket you and, uh, and make you move. And so it's just, it's just crazy. It's the kind of thing that I think Americans would, would never put up with. But who knows? Americans have been amazingly, um, uh, passive when it comes to most of these COVID-19 lockdown restrictions and measures that, that have been put in place in a failed effort to slow down the progress of the of the of the virus
0: now just recently the supreme court made a split decision on the vaccine mandates and i constantly hear well why do you have the mandate still with hospital workers with those in the medical field but everyone else you know you don't have to have the mandate what makes it different and why did they make these two separate decisions
7: because um, Chief Justice Roberts, who is not a reliable constitutionalist, he's what some call an institutionalist. His, he sees his function as to protect the Supreme Court. And uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh voted with the liberal justices, uh, Breyer, Sotomayor, and uh, Kagan, uh, to to uphold the HHS mandate uh, forcing people who work in health care and hospitals and so on um, to be vaccinated. And they thought that that was justified on public health grounds, but they thought that the other mandate that was uh, uh, enjoined, it was put on hold six to three. And in that case, Roberts and Kavanaugh and all of the conservative justices thought that that was a bridge too far, that it wasn't directed at, um, Uh, that that, uh, OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, um, did not have the authority to regulate public health. And so that's why they um, enjoined the operation of that, um, the the private sector uh, vaccine mandate. So they thought that that was not constitutional, whereas they thought the other one could be justified because it's, in their view, a public health emergency. So, so that that's why you had the split decision, which you know a few people predicted was going to happen. I had a feeling it might happen, but I I wasn't really sure because you never know with these these um, politicians in black robes.
0: <laughs> I like the way you put that, politicians in black robes. They basically yeah. that's what they are. Uh, you don't they find a, a strict constitutionalist very much anymore. I mean, we lost one when uh, Scalia died. Uh, which I've always questioned that death, and no one's ever really done a full investigation into that one. But that—that that was, a was very loss. suspicious,
7: in my view. But but, I'm in the minority.
0: No, i I well. You got me on your side on that one, that's for sure. And uh, I know yeah. before my husband passed, was he was saying the same thing. Um, right now, now I used to work in Boston, and uh, <laughs> it was two years that I worked there, and I just kept on saying, you know, it's hell being a conservative in a liberal <laughs> stronghold. But here they, they're they at it again. Um, you had an article about Boston flew the communist, uh, Chinese communist flag, but they refused to fly a Christian flag. Uh, well, this case is now going before the su- Supreme Court. And what is the story behind this? The story behind it is that
7: um, Boston City Hall has three flagpoles. The first flies the U.S. flag. The second flies the state flag of Massachusetts or of or, or the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, as it's called. And then the third uh, flies the city flag, but when it's not flying the city flag, it flies flags to honor, you know, visiting dignitaries or various groups um, can, can ask to have their flag flown. And so... Everybody basically in recent years who's asked to uh, use the third flagpole has been given permission except for this group called Camp Constitution that um, teaches people and, I guess, kids about um, the Constitution and, uh, you know, why America's a a great country and, uh, you know, basic civics. And they were denied permission because on the form – they identified the fla- their flag as having a christian component to it and so that um you know that aspect of it was red flag pardon the pun and the flag was not allowed to be flown whereas all sorts of other countries honored or, you know that have been honored such as italy and turkey and uh and and the people's republic of china their flags have been flown to show respect to those countries for for whatever reason, and so people, some people, a lot of people think that it's that's it's a very strange policy that allows uh, a, a country that is, uh, if not a, our, our official enemy, at least our unofficial enemy, very hostile to United States interests to have the communist Chinese flag um, flying. And they said this doesn't make any sense when you're just having a harmless group that is. Uh, uh, you know, that is, is, supports Christianity, camp constitution to have their flag flying. You can't have that, but you can have the, um, the, the communist Chinese flag flying. And they think that that's, uh, that's unfair and it doesn't make any sense. And the justices are you know, I don't like to predict what the Supreme Court's going to do, but, you know, it really, from listening to the oral arguments and then writing an article about it, it seems that, uh that uh, policy is going to go down in flames. Boston is going to lose because they had a really rough time in the hearing. And uh, the justices, for the most part, did not seem sympathetic um, to their arguments. They thought their arguments were sneaky and uh, hypocritical. Um, Samuel Alito accused the lawyer of Boston, uh, for Boston, I believe, of reverse engineering his rationale for why um, they couldn't fly the the camp constitution flag that that has a Christian cross on it so it, it's a, it's a hypocritical uh, weird policy, and the Supreme Court justices grilled uh, the lawyers thoroughly in it, and so my guess and you know I could be wrong, I've been wrong before, but my guess is that the Supreme Court's going to rule against Boston. And Boston's going to have to change its policy and allow all flags to go up, or they won't want to risk um, a Christian flag going up. So they'll just stop stop allowing all groups from using the third flagpole. So that's what I suspect is is going to happen there. But um, it, it's it's a strange situation. Boston, uh, although it's the birthplace of liberty in the United States, it was the Home of the um, the Boston Massacre, 1770, that uh, helped to set the stage for the Revolutionary War a few years later, and uh, had all sorts of great patriots in it more than 200 years ago. Nowadays, it's not too friendly to liberty, so I'm, <laughs> I'm not surprised that Boston would have such an such an odd anti-liberty uh, 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 rule in place, uh, putting unusual restrictions on who can who can
0: have their flag flown you know it's funny because if you think about it, a lot of the countries uh, around the world have some sort of religious symbol on their national flag whether it's the crescent of islam or the cross of christianity so if you're flying that country's flag you're flying also something that has a religious symbol on it
7: right Right, but I guess they would argue that the national implications of it are, are different. The nationalistic implications are different. But yes, you, you, I'm sure you're right. A lot of the flags do have a history um, associated with Christianity. You know, look at all the, all the Scandinavian flags have crosses on them, all the Finno scandinavian flags. You know, Finland, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Iceland, all have what looks like a Christian cross, uh, you know, turned on its side. Uh, and there are other countries too that uh where the flag um has something to do with uh, Christianity or has Christian symbols on it, so you know it's 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 an
0: odd policy
7: and uh and I think it's probably going to have to end, but we'll see soon enough when the Supreme Court rules
0: well now there's one article that had my i apologize my eyes blazed over you start talk- talking finance, and I'm like, all right, what huh?" Uh, so I'm really great at math. It's just that for some reason, but Ted Cruz is has a uh, a lawsuit going on dealing with campaign finance. Now, I was trying yeah. to understand this. He loaned his campaign some funds that was $10,000 more than he was allowed to, and then there was something about being repaid and – it's being challenged I I wasn't completely understanding where this was coming from what's going on here
7: Okay oh, okay the way it works it's he's allowed to lend as much money as he wants it's not limited however there is a rule in the uh, in the campaign uh the federal campaign finance statute uh I guess it's called the the BCRA the bipartisan campaign reform act um, that allows those loans to be repaid, but caps the repayment at $250,000. So Cruz admitted he deliberately lent his campaign 260000 so that the, he could test this in court. And then he was told he could not pay back the, ex, the other 10000 And so then he, he uh, filed a complaint with the FEC and lost. And then Uh, earned the the legal right to bring the case before the Supreme Court. So that's what the argument is. And um, the other side says, the government said, that this was an anti-bribery rule, that you can't pay back more than $250,000 out of your, uh, I guess, their post-election funds, because if you give money to some candidate after the election, really it's a bribe and that that shouldn't be allowed so you had to cap that at two hundred and fifty thousand. that was their reasoning which you know and Cruz and other people have argued ted cruz and other people have argued that you know money is fungible and you can't you you can't just separate the post-election funds from the pre-election funds and and so that's where a lot of the, the confusion is and the supreme court in the past has ruled that uh Whenever the free speech, political free speech, particularly free speech pertaining to elections, is dealt with, um, they, have to be, um, uh, they have to show a lot of deference to, to freedom in this case. I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but they have to, they have to apply a strict level of scrutiny to the law because it, it, it imposes restrictions on the First Amendment. And money is part of, money in, in the campaign finance world, money is part of speech. It's considered to be a, a type of speech. You know, you can't run for office without setting up a campaign office and spending money for ads and employees and a campaign manager and what have you. And so that's why, um, you know, they take this so seriously, the court does. And, the, you know, it seems, it the Supreme Court seemed pretty hostile to the Federal Election Commission. So I would guess that Ted Cruz is going to win there. But again, I've been wrong before, more times than I can count, so so we'll see. But they did not seem sympathetic to the FEC argument, um, which, which did seem strained at times. Um, and as I think it was Justice Brett Kavanaugh said, if there's a cap placed on paying back a candidate's loan to his own campaign then candidates may be reluctant to lend money um, to the campaign out of fear they won't get it back and that that would be a chill on your ability to loan your campaign money is the exact word and so anything that chills speech is suspect and there has to be a really good justification for it or the supreme court will strike it down
0: no how sense? could it- yeah, but how can it be considered a bribe if you lent the money to your campaign, it's your money, your campaign, and all you're doing is taking back what you lent, how is that considered a bribe? Yes, some
7: of the justices pointed out that. They said that the government was making the ar- the, the argument that the money coming back um, was, was akin to a gift. But then Cruz's lawyer at the hearing, Charles J. Cooper, said that that doesn't make any sense because Cruz isn't um, enriching himself actually it was justice amy coney barrett who said that 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 cruz was pointing out that the ten thousand dollars doesn't enrich him um it simply makes him whole again legally speaking he's no better off than he was before it's repaying a loan it's not him lining his pockets it's his own money so again um that that was looked at the uh government's lawyer said that this he shouldn't be allowed to sue, that he didn't have legal standing because this was akin to going to McDonald's, buying a hot coffee, and then pouring it on yourself and getting a burn so you can sue. And the other justices, or one of the, somebody else, I think it was Cruz's lawyer said, um, you've always had the right in America to break a law that you consider to be unconstitutional and then use that as the basis to challenge the law. So it, you know the decision of that's going to be very interesting and uh, we're probably going to get it in the next few weeks or months.
0: Now, when these loans are repaid there's no interest on them, right? So it's just you know money sure. in, money back.
7: I'm not 100% sure, but I I think you're right. I think that uh, it it's usually an interest-free loan, but I'm not I'm not 100% certain on that. But it, but it's his own it's his own money he's paying back so yeah. that was the the crux of the argument yeah
0: because he's that, not profiting he his own
7: money that he paid back to him he's not profiting and that, the Which government was sense. arguing that it was like a gift that because it's over the two hundred and fifty thousand dollar repayment limit um, it was it was more like a gift and the other side said that was ridiculous that that was a, well. Be- um, a, mer-
0: a meritless argument. Well, um, we've only got a few minutes left, and I wanted to bring this one up uh, because this is out of New York. Um, a New York murder conviction was overturned uh, because there was a violation of the Sixth Amendment of uh, self-incrimination. Explain me what this ruling is and what this, does this mean to defendants' rights.
7: Okay, this was a ruling. A man was um, convicted of uh, murder. There was um, uh, some kind of gunplay in the Bronx years ago uh, in, uh, on Easter Sunday in 2006, and a stray bullet um, uh, hit a two-year-old boy um, and killed him. Um, and pe- the police investigated... They found that somebody was involved. This case is called Hemp Hill versus New York. It was heard by the court uh, uh, on January 20th. And the thing was that the police investigated. They found one guy named Nicholas. Uh, they found that one guy named Ron L. Gilliam was involved and that Nicholas Morris was at the scene. Three witnesses in a police lineup identified Morris as the shooter. Morris's apartment was searched and bullets. Uh, were found there. Um, but later, um, when they checked DNA found at the scene, they found that this other fellow, Gilliam's cousin, Daryl Hemphill, that fibers from his sweater were at Morris's apartment. And then somehow they went from that to convicting him. And um, they they didn't have a witness present in court for reasons that have not been explained. This fellow um, Morris, Nicholas Morris, did not testify in court. He was outside the United States. Nobody seems to know why. And so they used the transcript when he, when he um, allocuted uh, uh, a guilty plea. He, he gave a formal statement to the court saying that um, he was guilty and explaining what he did and so on. So they just used the transcript from that um, against Hemphill and convicted him on the basis of that transcript, which on its face doesn't seem fair. The um, you have a right under the Sixth Amendment to mm. confront witnesses um, that are testifying against you and to cross-examine them. That's that's pretty basic um, under under the Bill of Rights, the Sixth Amendment's um, confrontation clause, as it's called, and so. Uh, they argued that this was this was wrong, and uh, the court agreed, eight to one. And Justice Sonia Sotomayor, uh, who was born in the Bronx, described the confrontation clause as one of the bedrock constitutional protections afforded to criminal defendants. And the clause requires that the reliability and truthfulness of the audit, of the evidence has to be able to be tested by cross examination. You can't just Bring in some stale, you know, transcript of somebody admitting guilt in some other case, and then using that to convict somebody. So they um, they struck it down, and uh, the conviction, the murder conviction. Uh, I'm not sure what happens then. It's not it's not clear cut. The Supreme Court sent it back to the appeals court, and then the appeals court will then will have to enter a judgment consistent with the Supreme Court ruling, and then. I guess New York will have to decide whether it wishes to try this fellow, Mr. Uh, Daryl Hemphill, again, or if it is, you know, going to do something else. But um, so, you know, Daryl Hemphill, I don't know if he'll be freed on bond or bail um, before his new trial, but I would guess that he's going to get a new trial and that they will actually have to produce, um, you know, real evidence instead of just a transcript which is treated as hearsay evidence, as unreliable evidence normally. Um, So uh, that was eight to one. And then Justice Clarence Thomas dissented. He was the only dissenter of the nine and said uh, because Hemphill didn't raise the issue earlier, early enough, the Supreme Court had no jurisdiction to review that court's decision. Uh, And I think Clarence Thomas is a brilliant man, but I'm not sure what he's thinking there. So I, I, don't quite, I don't quite understand his reasoning, but that was his reasoning. And so it looks like the fellow's going to get a new trial, and but we'll have to wait and see what the Bronx District Attorney and what, you know, what New York State wants to do about that. So that's what that was about. This was a vindication of the Sixth Amendment's um, um, the right to um, cross-examine uh, prosecution witnesses in criminal trials. Well, Matthew, so this it has was been not, a this is not a case of like liber, liberal judges being out of control. I think this was actually a sensible decision.
0: Well, Matthew, it has been a pleasure having you here and if you see Mark just tell him I said hello. Um, you can be found at the Epic Times and you Absolutely. cover the court and the justice system. So thank you very much for, you know, teaching me some lessons today.
7: Hey, you're very welcome, and I hope I I hope it broke I broke it down, boiled things down, and made them understandable, because that's the hardest part of my job is translating this legalese gobbledygook into plain English. <laughs> well, it's either that it, or I call my sister and it's quite a task every day.
0: Well, either that or I call my sister who happens to be an attorney too. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank oh, you but an very attorney's much, is much.
7: Often, the, often the worst at explaining things. My father's an attorney too. <laughs>
0: So you know,
7: but uh, but yeah, the return is yeah. God love them, but uh, you know they're not born writers or born raconteurs. (laughs) Okay,
0: God bless you for the hard work you do. Keep us informed. Thank you. Okay, all right. Matthew Vadum of the Epic Times, and now we got our final victim in on the line here today. New to the show, Dr. Jay Green. Good afternoon, Dr. Green, with the Heritage Foundation Center for Education Policy. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, it is our pleasure, our pleasure at all. Everyone's talking about this uh, attack on the Texas synagogue, and so many balls had been dropped. And the more we learn, the angrier the American people should be. There were so many warning signs, but none of them were heeded by the Biden administration.
3: That's right. I mean, a big a big problem here is if you refuse to identify and name your enemy, then you don't mobilize the resources of the federal government to protect people uh, from those enemies. And I think that this is an example, unfortunately, of that. Um, and so the the Biden administration has has chosen to focus on. Uh, domestic terrorism and white nationalist groups, um, and also has used uh, the the um, uh, FBI to target protesting parents uh, at school boards as, as another priority. And what they've been missing here, unfortunately, is is the the threat of overseas extremist groups, particularly coming from radical Islamist groups.
0: You know, uh, under the Obama administration veterans were considered uh, terrorists uh tea party uh, uh, groups were considered terrorists you know we had this whole big basket of deplorables aka hillary clinton calling us that and it just seems that that policy has just walked into the obama administration po- the uh, biden
3: administration policy boy what a
0: freudian slip on that one just <laughs> an
3: extension that was a good slip um yeah I mean it it is a similar kind of problem, which is if, if you again, if you don't name and recognize and mobilize the resources of the government against your enemies, then you're going to be vulnerable to those enemies and And in this case, um, uh, the accused perpetrator uh, was a radicalized Islamist from England um, who had a long criminal record in England, almost certainly received assistance and guidance. Uh, in England, there have been several arrests uh, in the U.K. related to this incident. Um, he was able to enter the United States without any scrutiny or difficulty, uh, and, uh, and he was able to make his way to a synagogue um, near a federal prison in Fort Worth, uh, which was holding um, a convicted terrorist who had been sentenced to 86 years in prison. And it's clear that this perpetrator uh intended uh to take hostages in the hopes of trading them for the release of this convicted terrorist who who was in federal prison near near Fort Worth um in addition to to hoping to free that person the the perpetrator also uh, went on rants about how he wished to kill Jews um and the terrorist who was in prison for 86 years also made repeated speeches at her own trial about how uh, she didn't want um, any Jews to serve on the jury, um, uh, uh, and that America was uh, was being controlled by Jews. And so, um, the anti-Semitism here is also quite clear. And yet, the Biden administration refuses to acknowledge that they know the motive of the perpetrator. I mean, the, the perpetrator told us; um, uh, we people could hear it in a live stream. Of the synagogue services that were occurring when the perpetrator entered the building and took over, uh, he declared his intentions, um, and people could hear it. And yet, the uh, the Biden administration continues to say they're searching for the motive. I mean, it feels a little bit like O.J. searching for the real killer on golf courses. I mean, the 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 uh, real motive is 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 quite evident, and yet the Biden administration seems very, very resistant to identifying the obvious.
0: You know, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out why the Council on American-Islamic Relations still exists, because we know that they are a terrorist link. And, you know, this uh, terrorist that is due the 86 years, uh, I'm going to mispronounce your name, Ayasi Siddiqui, uh, known as well, Lady Al-Qaeda. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, she happened to married the niece, the uh, nephew of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who uh, planned the 9/11 attacks. Uh, that, so
3: that's she, right. She, that's right. She she also went when she was caught uh, had deadly poisons with her uh, that were to be used to make uh, chemically enhanced bombs. Um, she was a a highly trained uh, biochemist. Uh, Who received graduate training at MIT and Brandeis Uh, so she was a highly skilled person who obviously got radicalized married into a a family that that was part of the 911 planning uh, family and uh, and then started to using her her skills towards giving them potentially biological and chemical weapons Um, she was when she was caught. And uh, was being interrogated by by U.S. officials, she attempted to seize their gun and shoot them. Um, was, uh, she was stopped. Uh, she was shot herself in the effort, um, and then uh, and then was put on trial for attempted murder, as well as her efforts to assist um, uh, in as a financier and courier for um, uh, Al Qaeda and. Yet she is a cause celeb of CARE, which is the Council of American uh, Islamic Relations, Um, and they have held uh, dozens of rallies across the United States where people agitate for her release uh, from prison, saying that she is somehow an innocent victim caught up in American excesses in the War on Terror, um, and that uh, she's simply a mother and a highly trained uh, uh, intelligent graduate student and therefore couldn't be guilty um, and uh, and they want her release and they in addition senior care officials have made speeches about how is um islamists need to know their enemies uh they they say they need to know their enemies and that, and that Zionist synagogues are among the threats they need to watch, and so not surprisingly, someone sympathetic to their message and eager to release this terrorist Siddiqui uh targeted a synagogue in in fort Worth.
0: You now the question is how did he afford uh the plane ticket over here uh and as I understand uh, he was in a homeless shelter in Texas, and yet somehow or other he was able to you know uh, obtain a gun um there's There's so many questions. Around, about this guy,
3: there are, and I, I, I think you know. Eventually, the, the truth will come to light on this. Although, although again, the the Obama, or I'm sorry, Biden. I'm making the same mistake. Um, the Biden <laughs> administration uh, is, is uh, has been slow to to acknowledge some uh, some of the more obvious facts that we do know. You know, your
0: article is so very interesting because it really exposes, you know, the hypocrisy of the Biden administration. Um, because at one point uh, she was asking to have uh, the jurors at her trial to be DNA tested to see if there was any, you know, any Jewish blood in them. And that that is sick. Uh,
3: right. Uh, actually, I think specifically she wanted DNA testing to see if they were Zionists. And I'm, I'm not sure uh, – um, I, I mean so, so there were things about what she was saying that sound like crazy rants. Um but people who are hate filled often do go off on crazy rants. And and you could be highly skilled, um, and well educated and still engage in crazy rants, hate, murder and terror and and apparently she did. Mm, I mean
0: that's- I keep on shaking my head that care is still around after all these years, and after we expose how many different connections they have to terrorism. Um, because there was in San Francisco chapter you wrote that uh, Zara Bilu, uh, I don't know if I got that correct, mm-hmm. uh, made mm-hmm. a speech telling our audience, "Know your enemies." Um, we need to pay to the attention to the anti defamation, but the, 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 the teeth and backwards, anti defamation league. Uh, to the Jewish Federation, we need to pay to the Zionist synagogues. So it's not just one person. There's obviously there were people behind his attack.
3: Well, right. I mean, and look, there there may not be a direct link here between care and uh, and the perpetrator who came from England, um, but they live in the same ideological world uh, where where uh, they're they're quite. Um, uh, obsessed with attempting to release uh, this convicted terrorist uh, Aifa Siddiqui, Uh and they're also, um, uh, you know, riddled with anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Um, and so, when people live in this ideological world, it, it's not surprising that one of them. Uh, eventually gets riled up enough to take action and and do something, uh, um, you know, potentially deadly uh, and engage in terror. Um, and and so you know there has to be culpability, there has to be responsibility uh, for a group like care for fomenting this type of uh, hate and violence.
0: Yeah, if you if you happen to be a parent you know, going after your school board because you don't like uh, critical race theory being taught in school, you're the domestic terrorist. Uh, all you're doing is trying to protect your child's education and have them brought up healthy. Uh, but uh, no, no, no. If, if you're someone associated with care or if you're uh, like this guy is, uh, no, 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 no. You're not a terrorist. You're okay. And yet we have an open southern yeah. border with people coming in from 150 different countries. So we already know there's terrorists already here that have come across the border illegally, much less this guy flying in legally. Why wasn't he screened at the airport?
3: Right. He was not. Uh, we have a, uh, a no visa entry uh, policy with uh, Great Britain. Uh, that allows people to enter without difficulty. However, uh, we also do have watch lists where we would screen people if they were on our watch list, and and it is uh, reasonable to wonder why he was not on an American watch list. He was apparently on a U.K. watch list. Um, and again, I think these mistakes occur um, because in part uh the, the FBI has only so many resources and they can only pay attention to so many different things and if if we direct the FBI to focus on um you know protesting parents as a major threat they have fewer resources to be attending to watch lists uh for people entering on airplanes or you know potentially people crossing our southern border and um and so they they um uh you know, the, the, the problem with the Biden administration prioritizing the wrong enemies, really just a mirror image of, of Zahara uh from CARE saying, know your enemy. I mean, she, she's right. It's important to know your enemy. Um, it's just that, that unfortunately she has the good guys as, as her enemies. And, and we unfortunately fail to have the bad guys uh, on our list of enemies. And that's, that's a real problem because, again, we have only so many resources, and we have to really focus uh, those limited resources on, on the biggest um, and most, most concerning dangers.
0: Yeah, but according to the uh, Assistant Attorney General for the National Security Division, Matt Olson, it's, he, it's more important to go after domestic terrorists, you know, you and me, or the mom and dad at the school board, rather than protecting our border from enemies entering now approximately 10 years before 9/11 i remember reading either newsweek or time magazine something about the otms other than mexicans crossing the southern border at at that time mm. this was approximately 10 years before 9/11 they were finding prayer shawls and qurans in the uh, in the desert seeing them that they were discarded so 10 years before 9/11 We knew that we were having terrorists coming across our southern border. We did nothing. 9-11 occurred. We now have a wide open border now under President uh, Biden. And we know that the number of people coming over the border has increased from 150 countries. Why would we not assume that we have terrorists that have crossed over? There are Islamic extremists.
3: Why would we not assume that we would have an army? Clearly... Sure, sure. Clearly the Biden administration um, is in the bad habit of using federal agencies um, uh, uh, for political priorities. And so the targeting, the scrutiny of protesting parents is to clamp down on a, a, a an increasingly successful political movement by organized parents to regain control over their local schools um, and that movement uh, you know culminated in the upset victory of of Governor Yunkin in virginia um, and the Democratic Party sees this threat um, to their political interests of of a a mobilized group of parents uh, turning out to vote um, uh, defeating Democrats at the polls uh, if they if they are determined to um, uh, stand in the way of parents educating their own children and and that you know to, to stymie that political movement, um, the Biden administration directs federal resources to scrutinize those protesting parents now now mind you it 's possible that parents get irate and some parents lose their heads and say things that are intemperate or even potentially illegal. Um, but it doesn't require the FBI to manage people saying intemperate things at school board meetings, right? We have local law enforcement that is fully capable of handling the possibility that a parent might uh, lose his head at at a meeting and say something um, unwise or even potentially illegal and make a threat. And and that's wrong. And we, we should definitely have law enforcement, um, Uh, um look into any any threat of violence um at school board meetings but but there's no reason why federal resources have to be used for this purpose this is not such a big threat it's not very common it's extremely rare um that anyone loses their head to, to that level and it poses relatively little danger um to local school officials at all and so so the 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 misallocation of federal resources, of FBI agents, to investigate parents is clearly politically motivated and not national security motivated.
0: And our federal government is so messed up. I um, want to move on to a different little bit of a subject, another article you wrote about uh, how we are subsidizing stuff at the university that has nothing to do really with education, or it's more to do with brainwashing of the students going to the university, but this is a multi-billion dollar uh, cash cow that we're handing these universities that really don't need federal government money.
3: That's entirely right, and and there's also a a really odd form of kind of billionaire welfare um, uh, where there's there are research grants that go to universities to fund the research they do a lot of that research money comes from the federal government which means it comes from taxpayers It comes from me and you Um, and when taxpayers pay for research at universities they also have to pay for overhead Uh, they have to pay for you know the lights to be on and the and the buildings to exist and so on so there's overhead attached to research grants and the rate that taxpayers pay for, for overhead is about $0.60 cents for every dollar of research. That's the rate charged to taxpayers. But billionaires, when they pay for research through their foundations at universities, they never pay more than $0.15 cents on the dollar, and they often pay zero. And what that means is that taxpayers are paying effectively for the, the overhead of billionaires and their research agendas taxpayers are cross-subsidizing the research agendas of billionaires and it's it's as if you know we had to pay the regular price at the gas pump but billionaires only had to pay a nickel uh that's basically the arrangement now at universities and it's a crazy system where taxpayers are being charged way more uh, than billionaires are and the billionaires often as you say have have a left-wing uh, and fairly radical research agenda that they 're pursuing, and they get subsidized by taxpayers in pursuing that agenda
0: yeah it's a, it's a crazy, crazy system, and you know if you look at all the stuff that you wrote about where some of this money goes you know for diversity equity inclusion um, the, over here at the University of South Carolina a number of years ago, um, they started to try to uh, do eight days on how to become a lesbian. Uh, well, the, the conservative groups, including my Tea Party and a bunch of others here in South Carolina, that that did not happen. As soon as we got wind of that one, we shut that right down. I'm just wondering how much of the federal dollars went into that program to brainwash these female students at the University of South Carolina. And these are the types of programs well, that keep I mean, popping totally
3: up. Right I mean, look, the taxpayer is subsidizing universities in in countless ways. Uh, you know, there are so many different ways. research grants is one way they do it but but there, there are all sorts of other ways too. Um, you know so there are subsidized loan programs there are direct appropriations from from the government to universities and the more money is sloshing around at universities, the more nonsense they can purchase um, it's sort of like giving an excessively large allowance to your reckless teenager Um, they're going to get in more trouble uh, if you give them too much money and and I think that's basically what has happened with American universities and we find for example that the more subsidy universities get from research grants the more diversity equity and inclusion staff they have on campus to agitate for their political agenda Um, and and so that's uh, you know, the only way to rein in that problem is to starve the beast. You know, you have to you have to cut back the allowance to get some more responsible behavior. That's Dr. my J. next question.
0: What was the solution? Oh, this is my co-host Curtis. Hi, yes, Curtis. I was
4: wondering. Hi, I was wondering if there's any studies that's been made on some of these colleges and universities on how much they take in percentage-wise from just endowment endowments from like former, you know, grad, you know, graduates and things like that or other institutions giving them money.
3: Sure. Endowment is, is a huge source of revenue for, for the biggest even, universities and, and even the private ones. Well, sports is a whole nother revenue stream. Um, uh, uh, you know, the, the joke is uh, I used to be at the University of Arkansas for the last 16 years, and the joke uh, was that we we, uh, um, we hope to have a, a set of academics that the, the football team could be proud of um, uh, you know, rather than the other way around. The, you know, sports is a very big priority. At least I could say that when it comes to sports, universities at least are are fairly efficient and, and, and attempting to do a good job. Um, it's a little less clear uh, that that same uh, successful effort is being applied um, on the academic side. Uh, But yes, uh, sports can be a major source of revenue um, at universities and endowments are a major source of revenue as well. And again, there's so many different revenue streams going into universities that again, you have this recklessness of, of people who uh, essentially are washing too much money and therefore can pay for too much nonsense.
0: And This is so much hanky-panky, uh, but people can find you over at Heritage Foundation uh, where you are a uh, working research fellow for the Center for Education Policy. Dr. Jay Green, thank you for joining us. And uh, anytime you want to come come back on, tap on Tom's shoulder and say, hey, get me on the end of the show.
3: <laughs> that sounds great. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Uh, it is our pleasure. Our pleasure. Dr. Jay Green, check him out at heritage.org. Um, Curtis, that's all we got for the day. We're down to our last couple of minutes on the show. Uh, yeah. Upcoming shows, uh, we've got... Candidate. packed With all candidate for forums, uh, we've got a bunch of great people running. Uh, one of them... Is one of the one running against uh, uh, Ilhan Omar? I forget now. I've got to take a look. But one of our yeah. guests next week is Andrew Giuliani the son of Mayor Giuliani, who is running for governor in the state of New York. So I think All he's right. going to uh, outrank his dad. So Andrew Giuliani <laughs> will be joining us among the other guests coming up next week. Uh, yeah. We got Kat Kamak coming back on uh, in, in one of the upcoming shows. So we're starting to book again. I'm going to try to figure out what the heck is going on with my technical difficulty here, why I keep yeah. on having this you know give me a hard time uh so i'll have to try to work on that next week and maybe maybe eventually get up the new platform but uh that's all i got for today curtis and i guess we'll leave with my friend gary peccarella uh save america so i say yeah, good night stay warm and god bless
2: America, America
3: the home of the free but there are people making plans to change America they've no respect for her for what matters most to you that's why I
2: stand for the plan and I kneel at the cry the friends I have loved him. Oh, do you know what's wrong to me?